0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Coleshack's Loop. I am your host, one of your hosts tonight, Bradley, and coming up later, we're going to have uh, the birthday boy himself. His birthday was his month, Richard Haddam. And uh, I just wanted to address real quick we had a little bit of uh, a hiatus, per se, of a few months, and two months, and. Uh, uh, a lot of stuff happened in the in, in the meantime. I had a baby, and I've sort of been adjusting to that. Uh, I, I know, don't know what, how far Robert wants to go into it. Uh, he's been dealing with some stuff uh, health-wise, another too serious, but uh, you know, s- stuff that uh, he needed to get taken care of. And we've also been working on scholarship and. Uh, you know, it, we we went hard and fast on the first few episodes, so it, it seemed like uh, it caught up to us, much like it did Cold Check Production, and we are uh, and we are just taking a little. We took a little break there, but we are back on schedule, and we should be. You should be seeing episodes. You saw our uh, our explosive comeback with the Halloween special, <laughs> which was five hours and took ten plus hours to edit. But yeah, so we are here. We are talking about the. Uh, Spanish Moss Murders, which was Rich's favorite episode. Uh, we've we've got some, we also had some technical difficulties editing an episode and we wanted to get it out first. And eventually, the, the, yep uh, the, everything sort of caught up to us and we couldn't get it. Still haven't quite worked it out, but we're getting there. So we're going to do the TV Guide segment of the week.
1: This week, TV Guide's cover story profiles Jimmy Walker of Good Times. All right, the good TV reading, Guide segment of the TV week guide. of
0: course, is for December 6th, 1974. On CBS, you had Planet of the Apes, The Liberator at 8. At 9, you had the movie, The Carrie Treatment from 1972. On ABC, you had Yes, Virginia, There Is a Santa Claus. At 8.30, you had the TV movie, The Man Without a Country. And at 10 o'clock, you had our fearless Cole Shack, The Ninth Stalker, The Spanish Moss Murders. On NBC, you had Sanford and Son, Tower Power. At 8.30, Chico and the Man, The Letter. At 9, The Rockford Files, Caledonia, It's Worth a Fortune. And then I apologize if I mispronounced that. And Police Woman at 10, Smack was the episode on that. And just let's just roll over into the uh, the episode and, and the cast. Uh, of course, this aired, as I said, December 6, 1974. The cast included Darren McGavin as Carl Kolschak. Simon Oakland as Tony Vincenzo. Keenan Wynn as Captain Joe Siska. Severin Darden as Dr. Aaron Pollock. Randy Boone as Gene the Fiddler. Johnny Silver as Pepe LaRue. Jack Greenwich as Ron Nupdike. Ruth McDevitt as Emily Cowles. Ned Glass as the apartment superintendent. Richard Keel as the Spanish Moss Monster. Virginia Gregg as Dr. Hollenbeck. Brian Avery as the record producer. Maurice Marsak as Henry Villon. Elizabeth Brooke as Natalie, the lab assistant. And Don Mantooth as Paul Langless, the sleep subject. The rest of the cast is Benji Bancroft. Benji Bancroft as the detective. Roberta Dean as Michelle Lewis Kelly. Bill Dees as the first reporter. Rudy Diaz as Sergeant Velaverde. Michael Jeffers as a patient. James Lassane as Officer Johnson. Frida Renty as the reporter, Walter Smith as another reporter, and Norman Stevens as another uncredited reporter. It was directed by Gordon Hessler, produced by Cy Shermack, and written the teleplay and story by Al Friedman, and the teleplay was by David Chase. This is, of course, based on the novel of the great Jeff Ross. Now for the best segment, arguably, of the week, uh, nobody ever said, other works by cast and crew. Keenan Wynn was in Playhouse 90, including the Rod Serling episode, Requiem for Heavyweight, the season one Twilight, ep- Twilight Zone episode, A World of His Own, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, uh, Stanley Kubrick's Doctor Strange Love, one of my personal favorite movies, The Devil's Reign, Laser Blast, Piranha, The Dark, The Clonus Horror, Tales from the Dark Side, a George A. Romero Classics series, The Goonies, and Hyper Sapien, People from Another Star. I thought that one was weird. Severn Darden wrote the Mama Cast television program. I love the Mamas and the Papas. And was an actor in Alfred Hitchcock Presents. They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Which starred Gig Young. Werewolves on Wheels, Not Gallery. Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Battle for the Planet of the Apes. The Day of the Dolphin. Lincoln, the Ghostbusters. Not that Ghostbusters. And Saturday the 14th. Randy Boone was in the Alfred Hitchcock Hour. The season 5 Twilight Zone episode The 7th is made up of phantoms as Private McCloskey and Lassie. Johnny Silver was in Alfred Hitchcock Presents and Alfred Hitchcock Hour. The Munsters, The Outsider, Not Gallery, Columbo, History of the World of Part 1, another one of my favorite comedies, Spaceballs, and Seinfeld. He also worked on the soundtrack for AI. Ned Glass was in 1953's War of the Worlds. Back from the Dead, Playhouse 90, include the Serling episode Requiem for a Heavyweight. Mike Hammer, he was a fridge painter in the season one Twilight Zone episode of Passage for the Trumpet and was the pawn shop man in the season three episode Midnight Sun and he was also in Night Gallery. Virginia Gregg was in Alfred Hitchcock Presents and our Mike Hammer, Psycho 1, 2, and 3, Goroth, the season four Twilight, Twilight Zone episode Jesse Bell as Emily Harper and the season 5 episode The Masks as Ozzy Stone My Favorite Martian The Addams Family The Night Stalker The Stranger and Happy Days Elizabeth Brooks was in The Howling Deep Space and The Forgotten One and extras Michael Jefferson and Frida Renty were in The Twilight Zone maybe you have to brush with death before you can really on the people and times it really meant something to you. Like childhood, dreams of sailing on
1: silver seas in wooden shoes, visions of sugar plums, dancing. Silver seas, sugar plums, the visions, the nightmares of a child are perhaps the most frightening and horrifying of any human animal can conjure. Some people who were in Chicago during the first stifling hot weeks of July would say that was so. If they were still alive. Oh my God! You're you're not recording, dude. When I show up, you got to be recording. I, I've already said all my. <laughs> oh, it's all. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's all gone. We've we've missed it all here. And so, guys, we're rolling sound here. Uh, and uh, so we're here. Robert is not. And so we needed a co-host to uh, to help us tonight. And I never co-host with anybody who wears a badge and doesn't wear blue and wears blue underwear. So, uh, (laughs) so,
1: well, there you go. No captain Siska here. So, uh, Richard Richard Haddam at your service.
0: Yeah. First Admiral.
1: Admiral.
0: Yeah. And we've both, you can't see this. We've got our Kolshak hats on. He's got the, the very official looking one. Mine, uh, not so much. It's, it's, I actually had the, had a seamstress make my band and I think I paid eight bucks for the hat, but we're here i
1: don't know i mean look, they, they look shockingly identical and i actually like yours better because the brim your brim is sort of folded up my my brim is a little down it's because so.
0: my look it's because mine's so. T- if you look right there it's like completely just thin all the way around like, well,
1: like i don't know look I, my mine ain't thing. much better i don't know but i you, don't know i'm impressed with yours i gotta get i've got to do something to bend it a little bit because again the the, the uh it's got to look cheap it's got to look yeah. like it's been you know thrown in the back of the car and dumped on the desk and you know just uh, uh made a mess of
0: so we've got rent here and i'm drinking uh some fruity drinks because i can't well, i went to podcast movement and i went to the jack daniels booth and uh
1: now were you drinking with uh with uh scott and Forrest? was it at the uh at the little party or was this just
0: no, this was just just no. random. I drank a little bit there, but I just had one mixed drink. But uh, no, this was well, just on my own. But I didn't have lunch with them. and They they bought my lunch. So that was that was real. This one's to uh, Scott and Forrest.
1: Nice. All right. Here's to Scott and Forrest.
0: But hey, we're here. Uh, we're talking. Uh, Rich, what are you drinking tonight? Tell us about what you're drinking.
1: Um, I'm drinking what I call a Kolshak cocktail. Oh. And it's a drink that I believe I have invented. Other people might hear the rest. And go, oh, I bet that where we come from, we call it something else. But let me tell you what this is. So it's uh, two shots of bourbon, bourbon of your choice, whatever you like, plus uh, half a shot um, of or half an ounce of simple syrup and half an ounce of Luxardo maraschino liqueur. But I, I challenge you to make this drink and then. You know, if you want put on an episode or, 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 or put on the CD of the uh, of the Kolshak music, and yeah. take a sip of this and think about Shack. and if you don't go, oh my God, yes, this is the perfect Kolchak drink, uh, your, your your money back.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, so we're here to talk about. Of course, we're here to talk about uh Cole Shack, The Night Stalker. We're talking about the Spanish Moss Murders. Uh, I just saw it for the first time today, and uh, I've got a lot of thoughts about it. Oh, good. Okay, I thought about wearing this
1: jacket. But it's too hot, too hot for this jacket. <laughs> what is it like out there in Alabama right now?
0: Well, I just uh, it's it's raining a little bit. I went. And I always check out check the backyard because you never know. We got we got possums. It's the wild west outside. Which do y'all have coyotes in like L.A.? Is that a thing?
1: Oh yeah. Oh, they're on, they're outside my house right now. I don't know what a lot of animals sound like. Like, I know what coyotes sound like. Mm -hmm. We have coyotes in Los Angeles in just normal neighborhoods. I mean, you will see coyotes in places that are very populated, that you do not think you'll see a coyote. You will see a coyote. And in the last year, they've become super brazen and they will. I don't even think they're hungry. I think they're thirsty because of drought. And I think that when they eat a cat or a dog, they're also drinking the blood and that's part of what they're hydrating with. But these things are really scary. So a friend of mine who lives in a neighborhood, okay, there are streets. He lives within half a mile of a freeway. Okay, so this is not like a remote area at all. He's taking his little dog, on a walk around the block early one morning. This is a month ago. And they're walking down the street, the sidewalk, and suddenly a coyote comes out from somebody's driveway and stands right in front of him. It just stops and stands there looking at his dog. And my friend is like, oh, dang, because his dog is small. So he stops and the dog stops and they're kind of, locked in on the coyote's eyes. And my friend is immediately thinks I'd better pick the dog up off the ground. I'm going to protect this dog. And he goes down to pick up the dog. And you see what I'm doing here with my arms. He goes down to pick up the dog. And from behind him, the second coyote is already moving on the dog. And he picks it up and his arm brushes the snout Of the second coyote. And this was an orchestrated hunt. Oh my God. So he literally picks the dog up and then sort of kicks backward with his foot. Ends up kicking the coyote directly in the snout. This is a guy. This is a very physically fit, strong guy. He kicks the coyote directly in the face. The coyote does one of these. It just... Turns its head, looks right back, and he's now like, oh, sh-. and then, you know, give it a one Mississippi, a two Mississippi, and then they both just very calmly start walking away. And my friend is like, my God, they had us surrounded. That was the plan. One of them comes up front and stops us. The second one comes up and gets the dog. That's That, and that is Pasadena, California.
0: Which that makes you think like, how long were they following you? How long were they in, you know, coordinating that man? That yep. That's like.
1: And, they, and you tell the stories to people in LA and they're like, oh, let me tell you my coyote story. You know, <laughs> this happened to us. We were over here and it's not, again, it's not up in the canyons. It's not in Griffith park city streets near major avenues and freeways. Coyotes are everywhere. We have coyotes, raccoons, possums, skunks. Those are the big ones. And then if you go way up in the hills, you might get a bobcat or a lynx. And if you go even further, there's a bear. Okay. Those are the animals we have. And I know what coyotes sound like, but I don't know what birds, I don't know what birds we got. I don't know what, if I was in Alabama and I heard something in the woods, I wouldn't know if it was a fox or a wolf or a bear or a moose or a deer or an elk or I wouldn't know what the fuck it was, but I assume people like you who grew up there, you know the sounds of your neighborhood and you know when you're hearing a sound that's different.
0: Man, wow, we 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 got real <laughs> off course. But I was like, You gotta be kidding me.
1: But... <laughs> Well, maybe not too far off course. Yeah, you know that Spanish moss monster. He stinks pretty bad.
0: Oh, I bet Cole Shack stank after he uh he got that. So guys, we're rolling here uh, another episode probably. And if you're seeing, I don't know if this one day this will be a video maybe a year from now when I edit all the bass videos, it sort of looks like my hat. I look like I'm in an episode of Hee Haw instead of Cole Shack. I don't know. Maybe I need to. I need to. I don't know. It.
1: I got I got a short haircut, so uh, it looks. But you know, if I do that, I don't know. I don't know if I look like Shack. I don't know. I, I I I somehow I like your hat better. I don't
0: know. Well, I'm sure you can get it cheap from China. And did I tell you? I t- well, oh well, I well. I'm not. I'm not gonna mess with it anymore. But I've got it like this. It looks like I'm on an episode of Hee Haw or something. I don't know. Do you ever watch Hee Haw? You y'all y'all have Hee Haw in L.A. Uh-huh.
1: Do you Look, know? Uh, dude, I, 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 I'm I from the original Hee Haw generation. If you know about it, you know it because your grandfather watched
0: it. Oh, yeah. Well, you know my grandma still, I'll go over to my grandma's house. She'll still have Hee Haw and she'll, she'll stop on Hee Haw. But there's Roy Clark and everybody playing, you know, um, which there is some yeah. there is some fiddle in this episode. So let's get to talking about uh, the Spanish Moss Murders episode. I don't really know where I'm going to even start this or if I, what I'm going to include in here because I'm still recording for some reason. But here we are, we're talking
1: about good. Record everything.
0: We got everything. We've got everything. We've got, you know, Bigfoot stories. We've got coyote stories. We've got everything. It's going to go somewhere, but who knows where. Um I've got still got Titan notes pulled up. That won't help us here. Um so we're talking about Spanish Moss murders. Rich's first ever episode. Do we have that correct?
1: That is absolutely correct. This is uh this is uh, how I how I lost my Shack sherry. Oh Jesus, damn. that's a horrible phrase. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, but it's true
0: um so i'm gonna I can tell you
1: the date i can tell you it was april 25th 1975 that is the day that i saw this episode that i learned who kolshak was and my life changed forever
0: in this episode originally aired on december 6 1974 so you caught it in the reruns i, I assume here
1: yeah and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah.
0: so we're going to talk a little bit let, let me go ahead and give you an episode summary this was written by robert and uh uh, even though he can't join us, he is still riding from beyond the grave Well, he's still alive, but not beyond the grave, beyond the, the veil of the internet. I guess it's Google Talks. so not really anything scary about it, but just just you know anyway, a bizarre group of crushing deaths are happening all over Chicago with a common theme. A green plant goop is found on all victims too. and Carl Kolchak seems to be the only one connecting the dots. Like a bad EEG readout skipping around all over the place, Carl travels everywhere in town a French restaurant, a Louisiana apartment complex, and a sleep doctor's lab who professes he may be an MD, but he understands PR and is very willing to talk to Kolschak. There, Carl learns the first victim was a schlub klutz who disturbed the sleep deprivation patient's experiment. Eventually, Carl learns the sleep subject is connected to a community of Bayou Street musicians who think their childhood boogeyman is just a myth. But Carl marinates his thoughts into a big chef's salad of Spanish moss in which he is convinced... Per Malafite, the Bayou Boogeyman is manifesting out of sleep subjects dreams and killing everyone. Carl learns only a stick of a sweetgum tree can kill it, and luckily he's already seen where he can get that and after a messy battle in a sewer, Carl vanquishes the monster and saves the day. So there there's the the episode
1: summary. Um, so so how well, do you- Look, I, that was beautiful. That that was a beautiful summary. I don't. I don't mean to quibble, but but let's get the pronunciation. Uh, uh, by the way, of a word that I don't think actually exists in, you know, southern uh, jargon, but but the but the way they say it on the show, paramophe. 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 Oh, I Malfe. love the way you say it. Say it again.
0: Paramophe. Oh, god, well, I messed it up. <laughs>
1: See, that's the way you say it. I, I'm saying it like a an, an L.A. loser. You're saying it like a like an Alabama native. Yeah, I love it.
0: Yeah, because I mean, that's that's one of the things. I mean, even like we talked we talked about earlier. Talked about maybe off there, maybe on there. Have no idea. Talked about the Alabama white thing. It's not thing. It's a thang. Yeah. See, it's that.
1: It's the thang. The
0: th- <laughs> Which that I think that's well, a different. That's like a that's like a Jersey girl accent or or California coast or something.
1: <laughs> wait, wait, look, look. Talking about the Alabama wife thing, we're getting into a whole other yeah. subject. So, but, 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 my question. Well, and I think you'll probably, you know, have an answer for this. But, but the the question that I had was, is is there. Like is Permalfa an invented word or is that a real legend from the south? Now did you did you research this question?
0: Uh, no, but I did. Oh did you? Uh, no see and, th- and I did. Rich shed your your knowledge, I, sir.
1: Well I went online and and you know put in the spelling that is in the script, which by the way, I've got the original
0: script. He's right got it. Here. Yeah, we don't have the internet in Alabama. So we can so talk
1: about that too. Yeah,
0: we don't have the internet in Alabama. Oh, we're not able to I look it up. You guys are still Yeah, we're still
1: I think it's coming. I think you guys because it's going to be right after you get cable.
0: Yes. So
1: <laughs> uh, Okay. So, cool. <laughs> so Anyway, I looked I looked up Paramount Faye, the way it's spelled, which is uh, P E R E M A L F A I T. Mm-hmm. And uh, what you get in your Google search results are people referring to the Night Stalker episode. And then when you go down far enough, you get people going, now, wait a second. You know, in this Night Stalker episode, they had this thing called Paramount Is that a real Southern thing? And then you have people from the South, I assume, who grew up in the South saying, I never heard about that until the Night Stalker. But we did have the Lou Guru. yeah, And we did have the, you know, this thing and that thing and the boggy creek and the various things. <laughs> but the Paramount Fae, I think, is invented. And I, I I do believe that. I will tell you that as a as a writer for Grimm, we invented names for creatures and things all the time. We would just Take some, you know, we would just take a couple words in German that seem to fit, jam them together, and call the creature that thing. So I think the actual word paramalfate is an invention by the original writers, which are, let me refer to the script here, Al mm-hmm. Friedman and David Chase.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, we actually had Forrest on the other day, and we talked about David Chase and the Sopranos and everything. Uh, that was a, that was a fun interview. Yeah, but we we don't have cable, don't have internet, so unfortunately, we can't stream Titans season three uh, featured on HBO Max because we don't have internet, so we can't stream season <laughs> season three of Titans that that comes out on Thursdays. What a, um, yeah?
1: Well, aren't there aren't there certain counties that do have it? What do they call? Are they, is it still like a dry county and a wet county, or, or like a cable county, a non cable county? Do you have to drive across a state border? to
0: watch cable content. Yeah, Yeah, we do. You know, in all seriousness though, like my parents don't have internet because it, it comes like to their, to the end of the road at before their road. It's like, yeah, we can't, we can't get internet to y'all or it's going to cost $15,000. They're like, we're not going to pay that. So they had, like, Usenet satellite for a while. But my parents don't have internet. They ha- they do have cable, but they do not have internet because it doesn't come to their house. Or, like, even my wife's parents, they have internet, but people on the other end of the road do not have internet. Because they're like, oh, there's not enough people on that end of the road. We can't run a- run the wire, like, 50 feet to their house. <laughs>
1: Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, I've got a lot of questions, but the first question I have is, do they care?
0: <laughs> my, no, my mom. Now, my mom definitely cares. My dad. He he has a camper. You know, he he. My parents have like my dad has like chickens and and he grow he has a garden. Man, he grows tomatoes. I I've still got a bat. Man, I tell you. So here's a southern delicacy right here, and we're getting off track again. But this episode is going to be off track constantly. A tomato sandwich. I don't know if y'all have those in L. A i've grew up eating tomato sandwiches that's like a southern thing i think he grew up eating them when he was you know my dad grew up real poor uh but it's just something that sort of transitioned over if you grow your own garden if you got loaf bread you know a little bit of mayonnaise just to make it a little less dry and some tomatoes just cut you up a garden fresh tomato and tomato sandwiches that's what you what you have
1: that sounds delicious. I would add salt and pepper, but... Oh, yeah, a little salt and pepper. Tomatoes and mayo, I'm in it. Oh,
0: yeah, and then... You uh, know,
1: I, I think that sounds wonderful. Now,
0: here's a step out. No, here's something else that, that we... A garden concoction that may be... You may be... Okay, that's too far. And I still eat it to stay. Can, what? Cantaloupe. You cut up a cantaloupe. Okay. Put gravy, sawmill gravy on it. Yes. <laughs> He's doing the throat motion. <laughs> I grew up eating and man. I still eat it or, or tomato on a gravy biscuit. Still do that. i put, you put a tomato on anything, chop up a tomato, put it on a gravy biscuit.
1: Well, the tomato, like the tomato is savory. I, I can yeah, yeah. put, put gravy on it, put mayonnaise, put ketchup on the tomato. I'm with you. Here's my, <laughs> but the cantaloupe with gravy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that good?
0: man it's really good i i I still eat it to this day my wife didn't know about it but that was a thing my dad would grow up with growing up you'd have to you know you'd have your biscuits you'd have your your cantaloupe and you just put the gravy all on it you know it's great great
1: look i i'm gonna i'm gonna i will allow uh (laughs) because i i like the sweet and the salt like i kind of Here's something that I do that my wife and my kids it, it, they hate this. They think it's revolting. I'll go out. We'll go out to breakfast on a Saturday morning, and I'll get the, the the combo, which is the you know two eggs over easy, pancakes and bacon. I'll I'll take the the pancakes and I'll put butter and syrup all over them, mm-hmm. and then I'll take the eggs over easy and I'll put them on top of the pancakes and mash the yolks and the whites down into the pancake. They're like getting up from the table. They are <laughs> disgusted. And I'm like, you guys are idiots. It's an egg. There's eggs in the pancakes. L- l- let me let me just, you know, spoiler alert. There's already eggs in the pancakes. This makes perfect sense. And the, the the salt of the egg and the sweet of the maple syrup and the butter and the pancakes, it is delicious and I recommend this to all our listeners.
0: No, hundred percent. No, it's eggs and pancakes go together, man. Like I'll put, I love eggs on a burger. I love eggs any way I can get them, man. I, I like my I like scrambled yeah. eggs though. I put scrambled eggs, put a little syrup on those, mix them in with the uh, the pancakes. I I do that, you know. Hey, no problem. Uh, here in Alabama, we also also have a thing called an egg in a basket. Have you ever heard of an egg in a basket?
1: Uh, I don't know. what. How does this work? So you take a piece of loaf bread,
0: okay, regular piece of loaf bread. Usually you get the top. Okay, so here's another thing. You always have Pam in the kitchen, but, you know, spray Pam, you know, on stick, but you still use butter. But you take the top of the Pam, you take it off, and you put it in the center of the bread, and you cut out a hole in the bread, and then you take that piece. Oh, okay. You can eat that piece. You crack the egg, put it in the middle, fry it with the bread, and you have a, what is called an egg in a basket. So I don't know what y'all call it. One-eyed sailor, okay. is that what it's called? toad
1: in a hole.
0: Yeah, toad in a you hole. You
1: know, one-eyed sailor, yeah, uh uh egg in a basket. Yeah, that 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 makes perfect sense.
0: But yeah, something else that makes perfect sense is back to this Cold Shack episode cuz this was a solid Cold <laughs> episode. And I'm getting this way off course. Um so I'm just going to take this beat by beat. We'll talk about it. We you know, we see Col Shack, you know, we see him this the dirtiest. Is he in a hospital? In a hospital ER
1: or something? I guess is that what he's Yeah. Well, you know, I was, I was uh, showing you, I've got the original script. So I I read it a while back and then I just sort of, I flipped through it a little earlier today. And uh, yes, he is in the original script. He gets a little bit more injured in the final confrontation with the monster, which explains why he's in, uh, in like a hospital ER waiting room, you know, in the, in the bookended narration of the episode. But, uh, yeah, he, he's there. His, his suit is as dirty as we've ever seen it. It's covered Mm -hmm. in, it's like dark Brown and it's wet and it's covered in dirt and mud and slime. And, uh, we hear him talking for sure.
0: Yeah. And so, and then we see the first kill of the lab assistant and how do you, you know, you being a screenwriter, how do you feel about like, what was your opinion, you know, Starting from this, you hardly see the monster. It's something that, that Steven Spielberg did in Jaws, which was not by intention. He just had malfunctioning sharks here. But obviously, they want to something that Coleshack should have done more often, I guess, in The Werewolf. You see too much of the werewolf. What do you think about the way they shot this uh, Spanish moss monster?
1: Well, I think, it, you know, in this opening sequence, it's great because you do just get weird glimpses, you know, reflected off surfaces and kind of in the background. So it's really scary. It's really good um later in the episode when you see more of the creature it it you, the the design flaws in the costume become more apparent now i'm talking as a as a 54 year old adult when i was eight years old oh, yeah this did not bother me at all i was terrified uh now i look at it and go you know what you could have you could have fixed that i, I don't know what the challenges were by the way there were challenges to making this show but I still feel like, you know what? This is universal. You made the best horror movies of all time.
0: Oh, Frankenstein, yes.
1: Dracula, yeah. Wolfman. It's universal is the studio here. You're telling me you don't have access and you can't figure out a way to make a, a somewhat compelling moss monster? Well, d- yes. People will complain about that. But in this opening sequence, it's great. You know what else is great? Yeah. Is when uh when you do these opening like the first murder in these night stalker episodes often it's just a random person and they get killed mm-hmm. and that's all they're only there for that reason what's cool about this episode is that it introduces the concept of the sleep research lab which even though the story is called the spanish moss murders the concept of the episode is, what if your nightmares came to life? That's what the episode is actually about. Now, the fact that that nightmare is a swamp monster is fantastic, but the real science fiction horror hook is, what if someone, when they went to sleep, their dreams came true and affected other people in the real world. That's a fantastic science fiction, horror, fantasy concept. I mean, just, just on its own, regardless of any execution, that's a wonderful idea. And I would love to know if that, I believe that was probably Al Friedman, but I don't know whose idea that was. So, but, but kudos to whoever it was, because that's a fucking solid concept for an episode.
0: Yeah, and you know, you talk about that, but even, like, that's something that, you know, the whole series of Nightmare on Elm Street was built off of this. There's been... I mean, countless. You know, it's become sort of a trope now, I guess. But but back then, it, I'm sure it was a new concept, a newer concept. And when you're having to do these weekly episodes, and you need to get a unique monster every time, you can't just recycle what you've already had. I'm sure you've got to come up with you know something new. And hey, we'll make up this that's a, a tulpa of sorts that I'm that you know Scott and Forrest right out of a, out of astonishing legends episode, man.
1: Oh, for sure. And, you know, you could have done it, like, in other words, if you had started with the idea of a swamp monster, if someone had just been going through all the different, you know, you know, universal horror films and went, oh, well, Creature of the Black Lagoon. Okay, that that was basically an underwater monster. We should have a swamp monster. You could get to the swamp monster a number of ways. You could, it could be a curse. It could be a spell. There could be someone doing some sort of magical incantation It could be a person who died and then has somehow come back as a swamp monster. There's a million ways to get into the swamp monster. The fact that they got into it by saying, this was an old fairy tale. This was the boogeyman. This is what haunted the nightmares of these children who grew up in the South. And now that they've come to the big city, they've brought their monsters with them. That's very different. And that's fantastic. And, And one of the hallmarks of the Night Stalker is is horror in the urban environments we're yeah. not in a haunted house we're not out in the countryside we're in the middle of chicago and what you would find in the middle of chicago is a medical research center where people you know deal with people who have sleep disorders they've got those on every campus you know throughout america they've got them in various places so they were really trying to sort of go okay Let's take cutting edge science, doctors who study sleep, and that's going to feel very realistic and very right now, but we're going to start there and then go back to the, to the, the swamps of, of the bayous and then, and then the, 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 the southern United States and go into a very, very old legend.
0: Yeah. And at this time, I mean, in 1971, you had, you know, you worked for DC Comics or you know, in, indirectly, I guess. But you know, one of the DC Comics properties, uh, Swamp Thing, started in I think June of '71, uh, and then I think Man Thing started, I think a little bit before, maybe January '71. I'm not as up on my Marvel as I am uh, DC, but so you know, this is just three years after that, and but it's a very different. I guess the the creatures sort of look this. I mean, they have similar structures, but the way they do it, and I think that's one thing that Kolchak does. Is instead of just, uh, you know, painting the monster itself, it gives you the backstory, it gives you the the, the way that they are introduced. And I think that's one thing that Shak does really well, and maybe that's David Chase here, or, or I don't know who, who does that, but make sure that it's fleshed out. You know, it doesn't feel like a thrown-in monster. It feels like, hey, this monster has a backstory and it has a way that it intersects this world. There's a reason it intersects this world, you know and it's not just some yeah not not a Scooby Doo episode where oh we're going to wander over here and oh this guy's just coming out, you know. It's legit. It it there's a reason for it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it also goes back to the original TV movie where it it's, mm-hmm. you know, and and Jeff Rice kind of kind of brought a modern sensibility to a vampire story and just sort of went, "Well, let's update it." You know, it's not it's not a castle. So if you're a vampire and it's 1970, whatever, uh, where where are you going to be? You know, you're going to be in a big city. You're going to be where there's a lot of people, and and uh, you know, you can commit some murders among among a certain class of people that might not be noticed or valued by that society. You you know, uh, sex workers. You know, uh, street people, you know, you're, it, it, that vampire in the Night Stalker movie was not going out and killing the mayor or a TV yeah. anchor person he was, was, you know, he was feeding among people who might have just been forgotten, if not for Kohl's Shack, you know. So uh, so I, I the TV show continued with that with that spirit. Let's let's keep it modern. And let's see where the intersection between the very modern and the very ancient can, uh, can cross over in, in Chicago.
0: Yeah. And you know, that's a real scary thought and something else that's a scary thought. Colshack uh, says in this night in this next thing is dentists. He doesn't like dentists. And he also talks about the scary thought of, uh, I know you living out in LA, you know, this one, uh, people pay a ton to be abused by the waiters and eat minuscule portions of food. Uh, I'm sure that's something you deal with on a regular basis. All
1: right. Now, well, let's, uh, well, let's see. Well, again, I mean, now, now, now you're going to start a conversation about you know uh, cuisine of the '70s, and I, I can't even go there. But, uh, but I will tell you, I'm, I'm looking at the original script now, and here's something you don't know. Uh, there is an entire subplot that was in the original script that was totally dropped and not really? filmed at all. Okay. In the script, the subplot, the B story, if you will, is that a Colonel Sanderson or Sunderson, I guess it's Sunderson, an efficiency expert who was in the military and now works for the International News Service, is coming to the Chicago offices to see if if, if Vincenzo's office is being run with efficiency. And so he's going to come in, and and you know he's looked at the budget. Where's the money being spent? How are people spending their time? And and he's also big on cleanliness. It is a major subplot. There's a whole thing at the very beginning, a, a whole scene that I think was never filmed, where where Vincenzo was walking around telling people that clean their desks out and, and, and get rid of all this garbage. You know, he's going to be here any minute his plane is landing. Even as we speak, kolshak you've got to go pick him up. And there's a number of scenes where kolshak is interacting with this guy and it's perfect night stalker kind of stuff, because obviously this is an authority figure. And if you're mm-hmm. writing about kolshak you want to keep putting him up against authority figures that he can either, you know, thumb his nose at or, or be abused by, you know, and, and the idea that Vincenzo wants to please this guy and Kolchak just couldn't give two shits is a totally legit B-plot for an episode. I think it made the episode too long. The script in, its, in the draft that I'm reading here is 63 pages, which is very long for a 48-minute episode of TV. So they probably said, we got to cut 10 pages. And so the 10 pages we're going to cut is that subplot. And they never replaced it with anything. Oh, I'm sorry. They did. They replaced it with Tony's giving a speech at the press club. And they're like, we can do that in two scenes. And so that's what they did.
0: That's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say, man, you know, that makes the most sense in the world looking like I was like, because even watching the episode like, and Tony, you know, this does. So I understand the werewolf not having a lot of Tony scenes but it still has its tony scenes. I understand, you know, these these things where he goes off and, and you know, not having the tony scenes. But this one should have the tony scenes and they only have two tony scenes. Rich, you just cleared up the, the the biggest complaint I had about the episode, man, was it not having the tony scenes. Like I I was racking my brain. I'm like, "Why wouldn't they have the tony scenes? It only makes sense." But oh man. Rich ha- had so ha-
1: many more tony scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had yeah. off to you, uh, man there's uh okay so this opening scene well, they, well the opening scene is the same the narration and uh and uh Michelle Kelly being killed by the moss monster then we're into uh the office with uh with Updike and Emily mm. and Vincenzo and Kolchak and and Vin- Vincenzo basically basically sets it up i mean he's like where is the line? Uh, he's like, you know, don't you understand we have an efficiency expert coming here? Kulshak, you've got to go pick him up. And he's like, and Kolshak's like, go, go find somebody else to pick him up. And uh, there's this one great line. Hold on one second. Oh, um, go ahead. Uh, oh, oh, here we go. Vincenzo walks up to Kolshak's desk and says, will you knock off the work? Aren't you aware? The efficiency expert is coming. <laughs> and then it says, Kolschak gives him a look that expresses the absurdity of the statement. <laughs> Vincenzo picks up on it, gestures around the office. It's just that Mr. Sunderland happens to feel that neatness and cleanliness are important to a well-functioning organization, and so do I. And Kolschak glances up and says, Then wipe the mayonnaise off your tie. <laughs> and then Kol- <laughs> and then Vincenzo does. So anyway, so it's it's classic night stalker stuff. It just It was too much and it never got repurposed into another episode. And so there you are, uh, uh, the, the deleted scenes of the Spanish moss murders,
0: man. I think that would have put the episode over the top for me, man. That would have made it like a perfect 10 episode. If I'd have got that, I think, because that sounds, (laughs) that sounds perfect. And maybe it's because we did it sometimes, you know, uh, it's what you don't get that you want the most, but man, that, that sounds great. Um, so (laughs) So, uh, you know, what we what we do get here, though, is so Colshack comes to the first scene of the crime and, and he sees the and him and uh, is it Sisko? Is that the captain's name?
1: Uh, Sisko. Cisco yes. Played by Keenan Wynn.
0: So so um, t- t- what do you, what did you think about their first encounter? He seems very reserved and him and Colshack, you know, have this conversation. What did you think about that from a writer's perspective?
1: Well, you know, the writers had a challenge on this show. Obviously, they had to keep coming up with and It's so funny. It's like it's almost every episode. There's a different police captain, police detective, police sergeant that he uh, that he, he he bumps up against. There's got to be five or six of them throughout the the, the twenty episodes that they produced. Um, Keenan Wynn is so great, mm-hmm. and and the notion, and then this is pure David Chase. I, I I don't know this, but I know this. The, it is a David Chase idea that this police detective has gone to group therapy to try to reduce his stress it's such a 70s thing and david chase loved to lampoon the trends and the behaviors that were prevalent in the 70s you can see it in the night stalker and you can really see it in the rockford files the rockford Mm -hmm. files and the night stalker premiered on the same night September 13th, 1974. Uh, Kolschak to Night Stalker, 8 o'clock ABC, and the Rockford Files, 9 o'clock NBC. Mm-hmm. But both produced by Universal. And David Chase worked on both shows. He worked on Night Stalker first, and then when Night Stalker got canceled, he went and got a job. He may have still, he was clearly a, a beloved writer to Universal Studios. And so they were like, well, we have another show called The Rockford Files. And David Chase was like, great. And so then that marriage was made. But you, you know, in David Chase episode, if it's about music, if it's about the music industry, it's David Chase. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, for the Night Stalker, the chopper episode, the headless motorcyclist, there's a whole run about music and rock and roll, and it's all David Chase. Guarantee it. And in this episode, there is a very telling David chase Shack rockford crossover. Do you want to know what it is?
0: I want to know what it is. You've, my interest is piqued, my sir.
1: I might be the only human being alive besides David Chase who notices this. The first suspect that is arrested for the Spanish Moss murders is this not real tall guy, uh, but I believe he's a boxer or something. And his name is Roman Clementi. Mm -hmm. That's the character's name, even though he never speaks. He's identified as Roman Clementi. On the Rockford Files, two years later, there is an episode called The Oracle War a Cashmere Suit. And in that episode, which has nothing to do with the Night Stalker, there's this uh, psychic who uh, the police use to help solve crimes. And Rockford thinks he's a total bogus charlatan. And he is. And the character's name? Roman Clementi. And when I was a kid, I watched both these shows, but it took me repeated viewings of both before I went, wait a minute, Roman Clementi. I know I've heard that name. And then I connected it. And then I saw David Chase and I'm like, there you go. He reused a name from the Night Stalker to the Rockford Files, Roman Clementi. Check it out. Did
0: the same guy play him or is it a different guy?
1: Different guy, different characters, different circumstances, different everything. It's just that as a writer, you're always looking for names that you think are cool. Yeah. And, and I bet David Chase was like, well, I used it and it got mentioned, but the character never spoke. He was only referred to as yeah. we've arrested a guy. His name is Roman Clementi, And for whatever reason, I have no idea why that name has significance for David Chase, but it must because then he used that name again. And I'm just like fantastic that's what he loves because when you when you watch these shows you do pick up on stuff and you're like okay you get a feeling for what these people are interested in and what they care about you know uh there's another writer uh rudolph borchardt who on on the night stalker wrote the trevi collection and i know you haven't gotten there yet Mm -hmm. but it's an episode that is about the fashion industry And he wrote an episode of The Rockford Files, which was also about the fashion industry. So you look at it and you're like, okay, well, this guy, clearly that's one of his interests and that's a world he likes to write about. So as he does episodic TV, he delves into the worlds that he cares about. So you you can, you know, when you're an insane person and you have no life and no friends as a child, uh, you turn into me and you make these connections.
0: Okay, so two questions here. A little off topic. Rich, off the top of your head, putting you on the spot. I know this is putting on your spot. So, putting you on the spot. So, if you can't answer, go ahead. What is the cool name you came up with and you put in a script? You're like, damn, that's a cool name. I'm using it. It's a
1: cool name I put in a script. Yeah.
0: Anything, anything you've ever done.
1: Well, I mean, look, the stupidest one, the stupidest <laughs> example of here's an idiot writer. <laughs> I'll give you two. One, of course was uh in the in the Mothman prophecies when uh Alan Bates character uh was his last name was Leek which was keel spelled yes. backwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay so I mean that's you know I mean that's you know the mind of an eight-year-old <laughs> and then when I did the show Miracles right after the Mothman prophecies which had to do with that same area of like supernatural investigations mm-hmm. and, and, and speculating one of the main characters I felt was a lot like John Keel. So I, John Keel's full name is John Alva Keel. Yes. So I named the character Alva Keel. And no one ever made a connection. I don't think anyone has ever gone, wait a second, isn't that John Keel? But I, I named him that because I'm like, you know what? I love John Keel. I love the man I, I, and, and he deserves to be celebrated anywhere and anyway. So I'm going to do it again. So with, with that show, I, I named the character. So, so that, that those are, you know, my two, uh, characteristic naming moments.
0: Okay. Okay. And then another sidetrack question, we had this debate a couple episodes ago. I forget which episode the, 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 uh, the, it was talking about music. It was the, uh, devil's Pla- no, not devil's platform. Firefall. We were it was the music episode talking about Ron playing the French horn and and Col made the quib of course you'd play the French horn uh Ron so I made the connection that oh it seems like uh Ron may be gay here and, and then I, we got emails about it thinking oh you know I don't think Ron's gay and I know that he and, and one guy one guy's email he's like so he's not gay because he looked at this girl in the uh, vampire episode he looked at her up and down so I was like so okay you know that's that's some. Logic, but what do you think, Rich? Is is Ron Updike gay? And is, is he like the one of the first
1: well look, there there were a lot of people who in the 70s uh thought that uh Tony Randall, that Felix Unger in The Odd Couple was gay. Yeah. Um, now I don't know if you've ever seen The Odd Couple, because again, knowing your age, I don't know if you've seen this show. It's a fantastic show, Tony Randall, Jack Lugman, The Odd Couple. Felix Unger is the neat one who cooks yeah, and yeah when you when you put these two characters together and there's the one guy who's the sports fan who's messy and eats hot dogs and and then and then the uh, the other roommate is very neat and likes opera and cooks in the 70s, people would sometimes look at that or even look back at it and go, well is this coded? are, are they trying to say those are somehow, feminine qualities and therefore he's the wife and are they somehow trying to suggest that the same thing is going on with ron updike people look at it now and go well he's neat he likes you know what are his interests you know music and history and he's a little bit finicky and and he you know he he faints at the sight of blood in the ripper episode and he he's you know so what are we in the 70s, you couldn't and wouldn't say, this character is a homosexual. That would not really be happening <laughs> on, on, on a show. But were they trying to suggest that? I don't think they were. You can talk to Jack Greenwich, the actor who played the role, I don't know. Anything about his life, I don't know how he approached his character. I do not think that they sat around going, okay, look, here's the thing. Updike's gay, but we can't say gay, so we've got to come up with every other possible way we can think of to indicate that he's gay. I don't think they were doing that. I think they were just trying to come up with someone who was very, very unlike Yeah. If Kolshak was Oscar Madison, then Ron Updike was Felix Unger. And then you have... Emily and you have Vincenzo and you've got four very different people and personalities in the office. And that's, that's what you want. You want characters that are very, very different from each other. And, uh, and so I'm going to say, no, Ron Opdyke isn't gay. He's just very different than Kolchak. But by the way, in the two TV movies that they did uh, the night stalker and the night strangler, Kolchak does a couple of things that he doesn't do in the TV show. One is he drinks. In the Night Stalker, he drinks. He drinks bourbon, uh, which is why my Kolschak cocktail is primarily bourbon. Um, he, uh, and he has an active sex life. He is sleeping with a dancer, okay, Carol Lindley. And, and that's the character that, we, that he is, you know, has all of his personal conversations with. And at the end, that relationship is torn asunder. In The Night Strangler, he is pretty clearly getting friendly with Joanne Flug. And and he has a somewhat romantically, sexually charged relationship with a female character. There's no question he's a guy who is a heterosexual who likes to date, likes women, and likes to drink. Okay. And the fact that he doesn't smoke is shocking. In this series, he absolutely doesn't drink and he absolutely does not date. And it is very clear he does not do those two things. I don't know if it was because it was on at 8 o'clock. I don't know if that was a creative decision, but when there are episodes where they talk about trying to set him up on dates and he's like, oh, no, no, no. You're yeah, never yeah. going to get me going. I'm going to like, oh, no. I, Kulshak is a lone wolf. You know, and you're like, what is this? There is none of the, hey, I'm Carl Kolschak. I'm the uh, you know reporter about town, and uh, I like the ladies too. They absolutely don't do it, and I and I I kind of wish they did. I, that that is a regret I have about the series.
0: Oh yeah, well, Me and I don't know if you've listened to our past episodes. We've mentioned you a lot just talking about that because, like, w- the episode that specifically got me on it was the the uh, werewolf episode where they're talking about, yeah, man, you need to turn your train around. And he's like, no, 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 no. We no trains are being turned around here. No trains
1: turn around, and it's it's God, it's it, weird. Yeah. It's like, what, like, like you can't, you can't do your job as a reporter and also go on a date. And, and there's, and there's a character, there's a woman in that episode who's clearly Mm -hmm. interested in him and she's wonderful and she's delightful. And, and it's frustrating and kind of depressing when he seems to only sort of be using her to get information. Yeah. And then when she's like, Hey, do you want to kind of like stick around and get a drink? And like hang out a little bit, Carl? He's like, no, I'm good. And then he runs away. You're like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. Um. (laughs) Because by the way, Darren McGavin, you know, I did not know this because, look, McGavin's a a charismatic actor, but he's not exactly Robert Redford, but he's a good looking guy. Women love him. I mean, women viewers of the Night Stalker are like, oh, yeah. I would do Kolshak in a second. And I'm like, really? Okay, awesome. I, I love hearing that. But like, he is attractive to women. So why they didn't capitalize on this, I don't know.
0: And I even saw in one of the Shack groups, somebody, uh, one of the Facebook groups, somebody took a shot from a movie from like 1978. I don't remember the movie, but you have Darren like, you know, stark naked there. And he's holding a woman in front of him, you know, like right, you know, sort of covering, you know, very, very covering right. And I would, Buddy, the, what I would pay to like see a Kolchak where he like he's having to sneak out of a hotel room of a girl or something. Oh man, that, uh, there's no telling what they could have done with that. It would have been
1: hilarious. It is funny. I mean, there's a reason that guys my age love Kolchak because guys my age were eight, nine, ten years old when the show was on, and there is something very childlike and something very pre-adolescent about Kolchak's character because. He's not interested in adult things. He's, he's often trying to get away from authority figures. He, he is aware of things and the, 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 the world of officialdom does not acknowledge it. He's very much like the, the kid who cries wolf, the child where adults don't believe him. The character is firmly cast as a child. And I think that's why kids love that character so much. I think if, if, it, if, if Kulshak was whining and dining women and we saw him kind of making out and, you know, yeah. getting distracted by girls, I think kids would sort of be like, oh, I, I don't, he's a grown up, and I don't get what he's doing and I don't like this show anymore. But the fact that that never happened, I think really feeds into the reason why so many children did love the show. And Um, But as an adult, it's like, yeah, I And just as a person living in 2021, it's like TV was different then. But now he would have a girlfriend. He would have someone in his life who would be his love interest. You just that's the way you would do it.
0: Yeah, and some of the things that they put on TV and some of the things they didn't. Like, I was so shocked last week during me and him did, uh, me and Robert did, or week before, did Devil's Platform. I'm like, how, they're showing a pentagram, he's doing satanic things. And Robert's like, oh, you know, they could get away with stuff like that. And I was like, oh, man, that's crazy. That's nuts to me that they're just like showing like him, you know, oh, you know, invoking Baphomet or something on TV with
1: a goblet of whatever it is.
0: <laughs> Blow my mind. It was,
1: yeah, I think it was considered just like there was not one network person who thought, Oh, this is a serious, real thing that there are Satanists out there. We have to worry about this. They're just, it was a different, it was 50 years ago, you know, things were different then,
0: but, you know, moving on, uh, that was a fun rabbit rabbit trail. And, but we'll, we'll move on here. Um, so another thing, you know, talking about the Shack and the captain, the captain's very calm with him, but he seems to like, I think he grabbed his arm pretty tight. Cause you see Darren sort of look down sort of like, you know, wince whenever his arms did <laughs> getting grabbed. great character yeah. work there. And of course you've got with, you know, what would a Kolshak episode be without the, the suspect coming in? You know, you talked about there, uh, uh-huh just a quick shot of him. And then of course the captain comes in right out the press is asking questions. Kolchak's asking questions. A great line. I thought by Kolchak: what about that salad? Was it vinaigrette or Greek goddess? You know, Kolchak getting the, getting the jabs in there for everybody.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, po- po- poking his thumb into the eye of authority.
0: And, and then as soon as he puts his, you know, puts his, his foot on the gas there and, and asks about the, the stuff. And then the other press members like, oh, you know, what, what is this? We didn't hear about this. So, no, no, you know, I I don't know about salad. I'm a, I'm a meat and potato – you know, I don't know anything about salad. I'm a meat and potatoes man myself. Uh, You know, just sort of, uh, you know, passing the blame. I don't know. You know, the old uh, – what was the Hogan's
1: Heroes? I know nothing, you know. I don't, I don't know this. Well, uh, right. I mean, he, he doesn't want to give away his leads. Yeah, He's like, if this is an important detail, I don't want to share it with everybody. So, yeah.
0: So, he goes down and <laughs> – Another, another fun moment, you know, he goes down to Paco and he, he's talking, he's like, you know, hey man, Paco, th- no, 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 Kolchak, don't come in here with with all this stuff. Oh, is that any way to treat a friend who's really trying to do you a favor? And he tells him about his tires being let out of there. He goes and he's looking, he's like, oh, he, he runs out. And of course, Kolchak gets his file, does his, does his work, hides as soon as the captain's coming, you know, hides around the corner, you know, just sort of hoping he's not found. And
1: I mean, such a great scene, such a great scene. It is done in one shot. There are no cuts in that scene. The camera is in one place and the entire shot is designed. And, you know, Kolshak comes in, approaches another character. That character leaves. Kolshak goes to a file cabinet, looks in the file cabinet, hears something in the hallway, hides in front of the file cabinet. So he's sort of in the foreground. Mm -hmm. When, again, in the deep background, in the door that he just entered from, Captain Sisko opens the door, looks around, and closes the door. And literally one shot, one take, one can- I mean, it's, it's, everything is done. Talk about efficiency. Uh, Colonel, Colonel Sunderson would have been proud of the efficiency with which that scene was filmed. And so well done. It goes from drama to comedy to, to, uh, to suspense. And, and, and it's all in one shot, one take.
0: And that's something that Kolshak can, you know, the, not the show as a whole can either do really well, or it completely misses the mark for, for, um, like for instance, the uh, bad medicine episode that, that last scene went on so long and, and I'm like, you know, this is cool. But th- when he's looking for him, I'm like, this is a really long scene. And I, you know, I didn't detract, I didn't detract a whole lot from me but just the amount of time on screen that he is looking and looking and hearing the chanting going through, you know, like if this is a, yeah, if this is a Tarantino film or something like Pulp Fiction, that one long shot, I understand, but this is like a 50 minute, you know, 48 minute, like you said, television show. And this is a lot of time they're eating, eating, just him looking for it.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure how, uh, obviously, you know, what the challenges were in in creating that episode in post-production. I will say that, um, that, you know, suspense is cheap. Suspense is just establish the danger and now just make you wait and just make you wait. And the longer you're made to wait, the more uncomfortable you become. Clearly, that was the intention in that particular episode. And, and, and it plays out in on almost every single episode of, of The Night Stalker. Um, you know, how long is he going to walk around in this house before the vampire or Jack the Ripper or whoever? you know, attacks him. So clearly that's what they were going for. Did it go on too long? Maybe it did. Are, are, are people's attention spans or expectations different in 2021 than they were in 1974? I don't know. I'm, I am certain that as, again, as an eight year old watching it, I probably, it was excruciating for me. I was terrified oh. and, and almost to the point beyond which I could not even consume the episode.
0: Now, don't get me wrong. I think if they would have had a better ending scene, like, that's one thing we talked about, too, is I would I would really love to have, like, a shot of him. Like, because he has the mirror, and it just sort of ends abruptly. I would have loved to see him, like, him hold up the mirror. He sees his reflection, and, you know, there's more. It doesn't even have to be, like, a big, you know, special effects show. Just, like, more let the let the scene breathe a little bit more. Uh, and we'll, we'll get to that in this at the end, where I think there's something that I would have liked to see, just a little touch here. Uh, that, that could have made it a little bit better, but you know, just let the science okay. breathe. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, like if you're going to take all yep. this time, just give me a little, I just want a little, just even a little morsel, a little bit more morsel of this monster, you know, a little fighting back. Cause it seemed like the, the, the you know, this, the Indian monster, the native American monster in bad medicine just sort of died too quick. You know?
1: Yeah. I, 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 I'm going to guess it's the, it's the, the, the victim of time and money which is always yeah. the culprit when you, when you have moments in film that don't satisfy and, and you know, this show did not have a huge budget. Yeah. I and, don't think anyone could argue that.
0: And something else that is very not satisfying is Kolchak's driving. He is a, he, we see him swerving in front of drivers here uh, as he's going, <laughs> I mean, just, just my gosh. And every like with, and I, I drive, I sympathize with Shack. I drive a yellow car. If you, if you do something stupid on the road, people know it's you Shack. So, you know, go, go to the DMV or something. I wish there's an episode where he goes to the DMV and just takes driving lessons or something. Whole episode, just Colshack taking driving lessons. I don't care.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, clearly Colshack doesn't care. He's a guy who just doesn't care. Oh yeah. Yeah. So his driving, demonstrates
0: that and we see their next victim as Solange relaxes with what Kolchak calls his version of the evening martini uh, and we see the the monster break through that $200 mahogany door that uh, that the, that the, uh, the yeah. one of the, one of the guys later on you know has a fit about and then we get the shot of the you know after that victim we finally see the lab and we get the real other shoe that sort of drops here, but we don't know it yet. Um, we see the lab, we see this guy. He reminded me a lot of Orson Welles in a way. I don't know why, you know, cause Orson Welles sort of yeah. it had that at one point had that flowing hair and the beard uh, as flowing as his hair. And did. that
1: sort of, that sort of uh portly air of seriousness. Yeah. yeah. The actor's name is Severin Darden and uh, he was a, uh, an original member of second city. He was oh. most famous for being a uh, a, a, a an improviser with mm-hmm. uh, the original comedy troupe from Chicago, so it's kind of fun that that he ends up guest starring in an episode of a show that takes place in Chicago. But he had a little bit of fame as a uh, as as one of the founding members of uh, Second City. That is so cool.
0: This is why we have Rich had on the show. It's for the. The, the nuggets of wisdom he drops, you know, in between the the other things he says. <laughs> I'm just kidding, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but he, you know, even the presentation is very, very uh, you know, Orson Welles like. Uh, I, I love the line, you know, he talks about him falling asleep and he starts naming off stuff, and then he falls asleep during everything, he falls asleep during sex, and then culture. Perhaps you know, it's it's his partner. This <laughs> sort of gives him like a <laughs> like just a. I don't even think he changes expression; just sort of gives him like a maybe a little head tilt there, Uh, you know. And the and the the, I love, And here's another thing: me and Robert talked about being both into English, and I'm sure you're you're that way. Colshack spelling things or or doing all this stuff. What was the word uh, that that he got him to spell? Uh, Schlub. Schlub. He's like, is is
1: that s h l u b or s c h l u b? And he's like, I can't be sure.
0: And and that's the funny thing. That's like his stick, too. His stick, sorry, is is him, like, not being sure about anything. Huh. You don't know, have to think about that. I don't really know for certain. Like, about everything, you know. Uh, I don't know. It's it's just fun. So, Cole Shack pays a little visit after that to, to the botanical gardens. And this woman's not giving Col Shack the time of day. She's working hard. We've got a garden club this afternoon, you know. I can't hassle you with a tour. It's like, oh the Spanish moss over here, you know. I check that Spanish moss every morning. She probably she probably knows the Spanish moss like she's seen the back of her hand. That none of that Spanish moss is moving an inch without her knowing about it, you know.
1: Right. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. She checks it every morning, of course. That's on her list. Check and make sure none of the Spanish moss is missing and being used by a monster to kill people. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, that and the gumwood tree, you know. Make sure all the branches are still on it, too, which we haven't got to that yet, but uh, we'll get there. Your problem is you are standing in our best horse manure. I love that Kolshak's just, just there, and, you know, hey, he's trying to go, and she's like, yeah, you're, you're standing in the, in the best horse manure we got here. And, and Kolshak's sort of like, he, you see him, he he sort of takes a step inside, but I think one of his shoes, one of his his right foot is still in it a little bit. He's like, well, you know, these shoes have seen better days anyway.
1: Uh- you know, I'm telling you, I don't know about you, but that's the one flaw in my Shack costume. I've got the Stan Smith, you know, originals. I've got the sneakers, the exact sneakers that he wears. But the pair that I have are out of the box pristine. I mean, there's not a mark on them. And, and everyone's like, dude, if you're going to be Shack, your suit's got to be dirty and rumpled. And those sneakers have to look like they've been through graveyards, horse manure sewers car graveyards i'm like i know i know i should rub dirt all over them but i wear them once a year on halloween and i just haven't done it and i something about it seems sacrilegious to me so i should just wear them just like normally wear them and 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 get them used but uh but yeah my 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 coal shack costume does not look like it went through a sewer
0: see and that's say so here's something i sort of uh they call it in wrestling, live in the gimmick. I got the shoes. I'm thinking, I'm going to wear these anytime I do a Shack cosplay, but I'm not going to wear them anytime else. And I got them used, and they're sort of – I mean, they had a little bit of crease, but they still look pretty new. And then they were so comfortable. like You know, because I wore them once out. I'm just going to wear them out. And then I got to wearing them, and people are like, what shoes are you wearing? I'm like, uh, you know, they're stands. I'm not going to explain it. But I got to wear – I would wear <laughs> them all the time. And now I was like, oh, I got to clean these things up. I'm like, oh. Crap! I wear these things all the time. I can't clean them up because that defeats the purpose. But I'm I, now, now I'm distra- now I'm thinking about just buying another pair of
1: Stan Smiths just to keep <laughs> pristine and clean up. Well, yeah, you can have a clean pair, but yeah, the dirty pair is the Kolchak pair. Yeah,
0: the dirty pair's got to be the Shack pair. Uh But so his leads, all Shack's leads, lead him to the hos to back to you know to the hospital where uh, he's got his medical staff. You know, he Kolchak. And here's the thing we talked about with He's like the cheapest person ever, but he's also like, you know, not the cheapest person ever. He, he, you know, he talks about, he won't buy some stuff. No, 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 I'm, I'm not doing all that. I'll do, I'll, I'll skirt that expense, but he like pays 200 bucks to a, you know, to a prostitute just to not even do anything, you know, <laughs> or here he pays. $200. He greases the palm of like a medical staff just for a little bit of info, you know?
1: Yeah. He saves his money for important stuff, information, you know, he's not giving the prostitute $200 to have sex with him. He's giving the prostitute $200 to let him hang out and see if Jack the Ripper shows up.
0: Oh yeah. And, and he gives up this line like, like, like like Vegas, I always pay off, you know? And he, he starts, <laughs> he starts pulling that money out uh, immediately. And, and the shack impersonating anybody is great. He goes down to the basement and, uh, and we've all d- done the trick. Like, I mean, I'm not saying everybody, but if you're underage and like, hey, can we see your ID? Yeah, hey, there you go. Did you see it? There you go. Let me just stick this
1: back in the and, wallet uh, or
0: something like that. Like, hey, do you, exactly. do you have permission to be back here? Yeah, there's my pass. Yeah, right there. Just tuck it back in. says he's a health inspector once he gets hassled after he looks at the basement where – uh where the last victim was, you know, he flashes it real quick, you know? Oh, the-
1: right. Where Bobby Ray Solange met his end. You know, it's funny. You were saying that, you know, you were surprised they let, uh, you know, they, they were showing pentagrams and talking about Baphomet and about all that say, stuff. Yeah. But, you know, when they show Bobby Ray Solange having his version Locking of the you know, evening martini, he's sparking up a blunt. I mean, this guy is <laughs> obviously partaking of a controlled substance And they show it right on TV and no question about it. No one, you know, there was no outcry. It was just a scene on the Night Stalker, a couple of nights in 1974 and 75. So, yeah. so, So he goes in there. Now, now we're okay. So this episode is before Horror in the Heights, right? Sure. Yes, it is. Okay. The guy that he meets in the basement. that same actor is in Horror in the Heights, and they re-encounter each other, and there's a moment of recognition. Really? So you'll see it when you get there. Yeah, it's really weird. Like oh. you again, you'd you'd never know it if you were just watching the show back in the day, but seeing it multiple times and 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 watching the show and all the you're like, oh wait, that's that guy. That's the one or two episodes later. And they're meeting each, and it's like it's so weird. It's like on that level they do continuity, but on another level they have no continuity.
0: Oh yeah, like Miss like Emily, the guy
1: yeah. that he paid money to. Well, with Emily, I mean that's a complete disaster. That would never happen today. <laughs> but, but it's like the guy you were just talking about, the guy who works, you know, in in the hospital, and he's trying to get information yeah. on the dead body. Well, why couldn't that be Gordy the Ghoul? Exactly. They could have just had he would bring back Gordy the Ghoul. You know, John Fiedler, he's great, you know, and make him a real character. And they could be meeting at a coffee house or, you know, on the street corner or anywhere and just give us more Gordy the ghoul. But for whatever reason, they're like, no, no, we're not using John Fiedler. Oh, we use somebody else.
0: Yeah. And, and, and one thing that, I, that I saw that the Kolshak stuck with him, you know, was the, oh, he's dirty. He's a dirty hippie and all this. And he had a rotten sandwich in his guitar bag. And then the Kolshak's like a guitar bag. So Cole Shack gets the next hint, you know, unlike Scooby-Doo, we actually, you know, we've talked, me and Robert have talked about that. Scooby-Doo would just, you'll go along and you, at the end, you don't know how the hell you got to where you are. Oh, this guy was eating like Velma knows everything. How the hell did, why didn't I say this? There wasn't there wasn't wires here when I watched it originally, but, but like with Kolshak, you can follow the breadcrumbs and you can follow along and you can sort of feel like at the end you saw, you helped solve this
1: mystery. Absolutely. I mean, look, the show has its challenges. There, there is some, there, there are just some weird details and characterizations, but for the most part, you're following a plot that makes sense. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And so here we have him seeing the, the street musician scene. He said he heard plinking and twanging in his search for information. And, uh, he meets a French street performer. who's actually a guy from the Bronx who wanted to be in the mob. And, uh, uh, and here's where we get that scene. I don't give information to men in dark blue underwear with a badge. And so, Kolchak, I'm not going to show you my underwear, but here's my, my, INS, uh, my INS ID here. Uh, and then they talk about the Bayou legend. Now, I love these shots. I love the shot of them. You see them coming down the sidewalk, and it's a natural progression. You know, we've all had a conversation with somebody walking down the sidewalk, and, and the shot of them walking down the sidewalk comes around a corner, and they're coming down, and he disappears, and you hear a noise, and he, you know he's like, you know. Uh, what was what was the guy's name? Uh, Morris was that Pepe? His name?
1: Yeah, Pepe Morris M- Shapiro, but he but he was going by the name Pepe. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a it's a great scene. This was all shot on the uh, Universal backlot. Um, the the restaurant, the, uh, the 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 guy playing the fiddle. That whole sequence is on the backlot at Universal on one of those uh, city streets. And uh, and then the entire conversation between Shack and Maury Shapiro is also it's just another part of that same backlot that uh, was used in many Kolshak episodes and in many episodes of other shows. Oh, yeah.
0: And, and it's great. You know, uh, I, I love seeing it. Uh... And here we are, you know, he takes a few pictures and he heads off. And Tony, Tony's there working. God, this is my comedy gold. I have a comedy gold segment of the week. Comedy gold segment of the week. Anything with Tony and and Col- and Carl usually is up there. Uh, just the interplay of, of Simon Oakland is uh, maybe the best part of this. You know, nothing against Darren McGavin. And, you know, Darren McGavin's there the whole time. Darren, I love Darren McGavin. So I sort of take him out of it because he's like the main guy. Taking, right. taking Darren yeah. back, Simon Oakland, I mean, Ron Updike, uh, Jack Greenwich has his moments, but it's, oh God, Simon Oakland, I love him. Love him to death, man. His scenes are always perfect, uh, and and he's able to, you know, he, he's clearing his throat and stuff, and Kolshak's like, I, I want you to, I want to get your input, Shack. but he's, bang, he's, he's banging cans together looking for stuff. And and it reminds me because we've all been there. Like when I was a kid, like my parents were going to go take a nap. You just be quiet. And I'm sitting in here in my room trying to play with stuff. I knock something on the floor. I'm like, oh no! My my parents heard. My parents heard. You know, it's just like that, man. And and. <laughs>
1: And well so, right, another moment where Kolchak's being a child and the parent authority figure is reacting to him.
0: Then, then then Tony looks up. You know, don't restrict yourself to talking. Why don't you bang some pots and pans around? Why don't you play a trombone solo? And no, no. C- you know, keep keep go- keep going. Keep going. You know, waving his hat at him and stuff. And of course, Carl continues the commotion before uh before Tony tells him to go, go on, you know, tell us what you need to say, Kolchak. Just go ahead. Course Kolchak. Right, goes share
1: in. it, share it with the rest of the class if it's so <laughs> important.
0: Yes. So he, you know, he talks about the murders and Ron. Here's another thing. Ron chimes in. Those hotels, I don't remember exactly what he said. But, you know, the hotels weren't up to spec when I talk about it. And Tony just, God, Tony has. It seems like when you look at the way he treats Ron, Tony has like the most patience in the world for Kolchak. He has no patience at all for Ron anytime Ron can say anything like the, the episode where Ron talks about in devil's platform where he's talk or, uh, or not devil's platform firefall. Oh, I can talk about musicians. You know, he's like, Hey, you know, just, just, just don't do that. You know, if you're going to do it, you're going to, you're going to write it like a Browning. I don't want an Elizabeth uh, Browning, you know, poem. I don't want none of that crap. You know, <laughs> just, just make it short and sweet. Not One word from, you know, one line from, uh, from, from Ron and, and he sets him off and, and another great, scene. it feels
1: like Emily is the only person who's nice to Ron. You oh,
0: know, yeah,
1: she's the only one who has patience with Ron.
0: But Ron, but then Miss Emily's nice to everybody. I wouldn't I miss Emily. Like she's like the best, you know, uh, another great line. So Kolshak showing, Kolshak loves showing pictures and, and you know, who the hell knows? Like they're, they're terrible pictures most of the time. Uh, what, what is it? Salvador Dali's bar mitzvah picture. That's what, uh, what Tony tells him. And, uh, and then and then the best the best part of the real true comedy gold is when Colshack sort of sneaks and he gets his hat and he gets his coat and he throws it over and he's sneaking out and he he points at Brian like, Hey, you know, if you say anything, you're done for. You're you're a dead man and he sneaks out and he sneaks in and he sort of creeps under the windowsill, you know, and you see his all you see is like, see the little hat just going across and then and
1: then Tony <laughs> the hat going
0: then, then Tony looks up and he's like Where the hell, where the hell, he didn't, he don't say anything, but that looks just like, where the hell did
1: Carl go? It is interesting. There's something, well, there's a couple things. As we know, these are scenes that were written later. I don't know how much later, but they were, they were not in the original script. So they were in a later rewrite. Uh, This storyline about Tony giving a speech to the press club. What's interesting is that you get the feeling that Tony really does want carl's opinion like in this moment and there's a few other episodes where where this comes up vincenzo really does respect carl as a reporter now this is a holdover i think from the tv movies um where where they they have an established relationship it's combative but on no level does vincenzo think that carl is a bad reporter uh, he just thinks that he, in a way his Vincenzo is almost bothered that Kolchak is too good a reporter. He, he, he yeah. goes a little too far. So it's really interesting here that he, he seems to actually want Kolchak's opinion and seems to be upset when Kolchak leaves. And then in later scenes, we'll even see him go, well, Hey, you know, I was disappointed. You weren't at my speech. I, I kind of wanted mm. you to see it. And why don't you join us for a drink? You know, and, but by then, of course, you know, we'll get to it, but Kolshak's in no mood for a drink. But yeah. it is interesting, you know, Col- Vincenzo does not hate Kolshak and does not think he's a bad reporter. That is not part of the canon.
0: And and I think if Kolshak wasn't so nose to the grindstone, hey, I'm going to spend so much time on these stories that will never get published. If he wasn't that way, I think him and Tony could be like the best friends outside the office, you know? And, and- yeah. But but it just doesn't lead itself to that because of just who shack is and and what his motive is and and really in the show he is just all about getting the story, getting the lead, finding it and and there's no time for play, man. He doesn't the amount of sleep he does not get is amazing. I thought you know when when I saw that one episode the 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 Devils no, no 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 I'm I'm gonna keep firefall. saying that firefall. The one
1: where the place is being like.
0: Yeah, it's like, I thought, oh, he's just staying awake here. But no, like every, uh, every other episode, you know, even, the, even when I went back and watched rewatch the vampire after we did the episode, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, he did try to stay awake longer because they did spend like 14 hours looking for the house that the vampire would stay in, you know? And it's the little nuggets there that, that you just don't get that Carl is just so serious about his job
1: that, you know, even if he doesn't well, get the recognition. You get the feeling that, you know, the way these shows are done, and every show was done like this. You know, we're not, we're not following a continuous season in Kolshak's life. You know, one episode, it'll be the hottest summer in Chicago. The very next episode, it's Christmas. The next yeah. episode, it's September. The next episode, it's April. And, and you really do feel like we're just getting a, 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 a week here, a few days there. And the suggestion is that there's many, many weeks in between these cases where he is just covering normal stories. And so we're only seeing the episodes where he's following a paranormal story. And those are the ones that frustrate Vincenzo because he's like, why do you do this? (laughs) Why are you why do you come to me five times a year, three times a year with these ridiculous stories just be a normal reporter. You're good. Quit being an idiot. You're frustrating me. If we're going to have a I'll d- expect more from you.
0: Yeah. If, and if we're going to have a dog, if, if we're going to have a dog story, or, you know, if we're going to have a pol- political story, why are we going to have an evil dog in our political story? Why
1: Kolchak? Why? Yeah, exactly. He's, he's frustrated not because Kolchak is always a terrible reporter. It's because he's usually a really good reporter and then every once in a while he he has these stupid cases that drive Vincenzo up a wall. So, so, and, and there's, again, in the TV movies, there, there is a, a very specific moment when Vincenzo sees that Kolchak's story has been censored <laughs> and he actually feels bad for him. And he tells him, Carl, you're one hell of a reporter. Yeah. And he, he's sort of like, I, I know I've been yelling at you for this whole TV movie, but they did you dirty. And I want you to know that I am a newsman too. And in this moment, you did the right thing and they did the wrong thing. And I do get it. And that's a great moment. And that's probably the only time in any of the movies or the episodes where Vincenzo sort of sort of really gives them his props in a supernatural episode.
0: So so I'm really good at reading between the lines here and guys, I've read between the lines. I understand what Rich is saying here. And it's very subtle, but I get it. Rich is gonna be a part of the new Col Shack reboot, but it's gonna be like Col Shack meets Parks and Rec. He's just gonna cover a city's works project going awry. Uh maybe the you know, maybe there was some mismanagement at the local courthouse and some fines didn't get paid. It's gonna be Cole Shack in between, and we're gonna just, you know, we're gonna do some deep fakes on Darren McGavin, and I think he's already got about four scripts ready for that. So
1: be a lookout, be a, be on the lookout for that. It's all the episodes in between the Night Stalker episodes yeah. that are not. By the way, they talked about doing that. They always do. This is always this the stupid thing that happens in development where, where at a certain point they're like. Well, you know, I mean, at its heart, this is a show about a reporter. They don't all have to be supernatural stories. We could every once in a while we could just toss in an episode where he's just covering, you know, a crime. And it's like, yeah, no, that's never going to work. <laughs> that's never going to happen.
0: You know, but legitimately, we're we're getting to the point where like CGI is like almost there, where we could have like a whole CGI Shack, man. Like, like literally, you could redo Shack the way you wanted. You know, have somebody. With
1: deep fakes,
0: Gaffin, what you're talking about yeah yeah like the the cold check like you could get simon oakland could get his estate to sign off get you know because i mean if you look at like even what 2017 or 2016, whenever rogue one was for star wars so what they did with grandma tarkin uh with uh who was the guy who played grandma tarkin uh anyway peter peter uh cushing uh pulled that out of thin air, you know, even, even some of the CGI it's getting there, man. And it's getting more accessible as time goes on, you know, we, the sky is the limit for this stuff. And, uh, if there's a way we could, you know, I think, I think Disney owns coal shack now. So
1: yep. (sighs) Dicey. I mean, I know there are, there are comic book and graphic novel and novelizations of, you know, further adventures of coal shack that have been published mostly over the last 20 years or so um but it gets a little weird when you're talking about the image of a human being who actually lived yes and was known for giving a particular performance i mean you would i don't even know how you would define those rights to to say to to go back to any person who is an offspring and i don't think darren McAvin had kids but Who you go to to say, is it okay if we just take all existing images of this guy and then run them through a computer and create an entirely new performance from Darren McGavin in a new episode of the Night Stalker? How how would you even do that? I don't know. And I think Darren McGavin
0: has, oh God, I don't want to get this wrong, two kids. One I tried to contact named Bo. Yeah.
1: Oh, I didn't know. I thought he didn't have kids. I'd never heard of of, of any of his kids. Who does he? What, what's he got?
0: He has a daughter. I don't know her name, but he has a son named Bo. I've seen him in the Kolchak Facebook sites occasionally, it, and so I dropped him a line. I'm like, "Hey, man, we'd love to talk to you." And it's it's done red. It's completely. So I don't know what what's, what's going on with that. You know. Um, wait, wait. Did he respond? No, he never responded. I don't even think he's seen it. Maybe it's in his junk mail, buried. You know, between the spam. Uh, you know you know, find sex here ads uh, that, that always seem to come up on social media?
1: I got to imagine that if people know about him, that he's been approached many, many times and probably said, no, I don't know why, but my God, if his kids could talk about him, I I'd be fascinated to hear what that's... and
0: I, if there's a if anybody out there knows him because he's in the Kolchak sites he he will comment occasionally but it's like it's like a rare like I like I you know I've seen hundreds you know hundreds of posts over the course and I've only seen him comment once so
1: what are the nature what's the nature of his comments is he is he sharing an insight about his father yeah it'll or? be
0: mostly positive but like you know he really enjoyed filming this and he would love to see what people are doing, you know, with his life, you know, with stuff.
1: Okay. So it's, gen- okay. Yeah. It's, right. it's
0: all good. There's all goodwill and nature towards it. Um, but it's just, man, I'd love to talk to him, man. Love to have him. We'll bring rich on for this. I'd love to hear. I've, I've never heard a bad thing about Darren McGavin. Of course, you know, I know, you know, whatever, uh, when you get people in their personal lives, but, but literally, you know, I think he was just a, 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 you know, a lovely human being from everything I've heard. I hope so but uh something else that is lovely I, I don't even know what my notes are here so that might be a terrible transition what else is lovely is the conversation oh it's not lovely the conversation carl has when he meets the captain again and the captain <laughs> the captain 180 or 180 just flips the switch and uh, just explodes on him you know you know I, I, I would they never told me I would meet a person so un okay as you are you know and and just goes off uh, you know, you're the only person, Kolchak. I know it could take a year and a half worth of group therapy and flush it, and and he's just and the the delivery, the the everything is perfect about this. It's it's great. It's all that pent up anger he's had.
1: Yeah, it's the moment you're waiting for, and you're happy when it comes. But even when Kolchak's making sense because
0: they're out here at the sleep lab. You know, they go to the sleep lab, and the, and they're talking about uh, you know. Because I think he, well, before that, I think he goes to sleep lab on his own. I'm like, oh man, you know, I've, uh, ha. he's got the a picture of the scene, a, a nice glossy uh, or semi-gloss picture there. It looks like a, maybe an eight by 10. Uh, oh yeah. Maybe a little bigger what, than that. I don't I, know.
1: I found this on eBay, I've never seen it again. These are actual stills from the episode. Let me show you one more really quick.
0: Go ahead, man.
1: I'll show you two more. Here's one that was clearly in between in between takes because everyone, everyone's smiling <laughs> it's like everyone's talking to the director or something they're just sharing a casual moment but there's Keenan Wynn there's Darren McGavin there's uh, the the woman who's one of the uh, 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 technicians at the lab and I think that other guy is he a cop or something is he a, or another I don't know who he is but, oh. but he's sort of you know part of it but now get ready for this. Okay. You're going to love this. Now that you've seen the episode, this is a hilarious picture. You'll, you'll get it immediately.
0: <laughs> he's it's the, it's the guy on the hospital bed. Just like looking like staring intently.
1: Yeah. He's sort of giving a take to the camera. Like, yeah. Oh my God, what's happening with me? You never see the character with his eyes open on the episode. Uh, he's, he's asleep having his dreams or nightmares or whatever. And so here's just sort of the funny shot. It's like, okay, I'm going to give a take to the camera. Like, oh my god, what am I dreaming about? So there you go, some behind-the-scenes photographs of the Spanish Moss murders. You
0: know, talking about, and this is not not a knock on the actor who was in the bed, but you sort of see. So, I mean, you can obviously tell. Like nowadays, like I know what REM is. You probably know what REM sleep is. But now, like this is a concept that I'm sure I don't know how how you know prevalent was. But the first scene, Colshack goes in. What is REM sleep? You know, oh, that's rapid eye movement, and that's what you do to dream, and so it's sort of like maybe a newer concept, but now everybody knows what REM sleep is. And you know, like if you ever see anybody' eyes just sort of darting to the left and the right or something, you can tell when they're in REM sleep. And and yeah. and his acting, you sort of there's not really the eye movement, but his, his his eyelids flutter, and you're like, he's wanting to open his eyes there. That's not that doesn't really look like REM, but you know, of course, what stage directing? Hey, just sort of twitch your eyelids and like, okay. I don't really know what I'm supposed to look like when I'm sleeping, but okay.
1: Act like you're having a nightmare about Richard Keel in a suit covered with moss,
0: which, Hey, we'll get to that. Bring that up later. Bring Richard Keel in the mall in the suit later, because I've, there's a fascinating part about that that I want to talk about. They end up, the doctor tells him that he knows the truth and that Kolshak can uh, take his story. So because, because so Kolshak comes in, the whole thing is, I hey, you know, we want to do an expose. I talked to my editor. And he's like, you can take that and rotate it. And I'm like, okay, well, that's an interesting way to put that, buddy. Um, but alarm goes off and we see the uh, the security guard coming to give Kolshak the boot. But as the, the alarm goes off, the policeman meets his fate on a bike. Buddy, he gets, a, he gets knocked the hell off his bike. Like he just fly, he flies off that bike. And that's, we sort of get the, the back end is the, the moss monster sort of walks away around that corner. Um, so Kolshak goes to the fiddle player, you know, all this stuff. He, he says, Hey, this is Kolshak. He was talking to you in the studio that, you know, Kolshak had gave this guy 10 bucks earlier just to, Hey, I want, I need some studio time. And he said, Oh, Kolshak, the pedal still, the, the pedal still player from muscle shoals, which, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but Muscle Shoals was like a big music city. Aretha Franklin, a lot of people recorded here, famous for recording here. Have you ever heard of a group called Leonard Skinner? Oh yeah, yeah, Leonard Skinner. They they would plump, they would come. Even mentioned in the song "Sweet Home Alabama." You know, Muscle Shoals has got the Swampers. They had the Swampers, which was the backing band. So it's sort oh. of a Muscle. You know, Muscle Shoals is located. So I'm. In, I know nobody probably knows this. So Nashville is north of us, and, and I'm directly south of Nashville. If you go directly south, you'll get to me if you drive about an hour and a half, two hours. If you
1: How far south? Where are you in relationship to Montgomery?
0: I'm four hours north of Montgomery.
1: Oh, wow. Okay.
0: Got so I'm four hours, about an hour north of Birmingham, four hours north of Montgomery. If you go straight up, you get to Nashville, but if you go... Sort of west and south, you know, southwest because that's a direction, buddy. If you if you go southwest, you'll run into Florence, and Florence can come and you sort of make like a triangle. From Florence to where I live uh, to Nashville makes a triangle because it's more closer to you're probably closer to Memphis than you are Nashville because and in, in Memphis is in the the west side of.
1: Memphis and Nashville, big music towns too. So, and again, if if anyone knows Muscle Shoals, it's going to be David Chase. So, oh yeah, yeah. So, now, what's about the scene you're talking about is that also was not in the original script. the The information that he gets from that musician in the in the earlier draft comes at the scene of the cop's death. So really. In this earlier draft, yeah, it's really weird. In the earlier draft, he goes. He he goes to that spot, you know, he's heard about this. He sees an ambulance. The cop is there covered with a sheet. Other cops are responding and a crowd has formed. And I guess the idea is that in this geographic part of Chicago, there's a lot of people, immigrants, Cajuns from the South. And and Kolshak ends up talking to a couple of them. A young woman and the woman's grandmother, and the woman's grandmother is talking in in Creole, uh-huh. and referring to Paramal Fay, and and Kolchak's asking the granddaughter, "What's what's she saying?" What's she? and the granddaughter's like, "Oh my God, she's she never stops with the stories of the boogeyman and the Paramount Fay, and 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 he's like, "Well, what?" you know, so this Paramount fae, you know, what do you need to do? And she's like, oh, it's the thing. And you got to stick him with a stick. But this young woman tells the tale. And then, and by the way, in fact, to, to correct that, I don't think she explains how to kill the monster. I think she explains what the monster is and gives us a little bit of the boogeyman information that the musician gives us. And then there's a very quick scene immediately after where Kolschak goes to a library and we don't know what he does in the library, but after he comes out, he knows the full story. Mm-hmm. Gotta stick him with the, the stick and you got it. This is how you kill him. And he has all of the information he needs. Now those scenes were, were uh, deleted, omitted and replaced with the one that you're talking about now.
0: Which now that you say that I really enjoyed the scene, but it sounds like I'd I don't know if I'd have enjoyed that bit more or not. I mean, I love the. I love. I love like the. Anytime you bring a grandma into anything, and and she's speaking Creole, I'd love that. But I, I enjoyed this scene. I thought it was a good a good explanation. Um. So either one in my books is good. We we go back. You know the scene you just showed. Uh, back to the lab. We see. And here's the thing, Kolschak is given good information here that actually makes a hundred percent sense if you line it up. But you know, he's just done with it. The 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 cop is the the, the captain. I'm tired of this Kolschak. He's going off, and then the, the, then the guy, and then you know, it's it's just that's pandemonium by itself. And then so the the thing that caught me was he's like, yeah, I've in d- dosed him with the uh, two times the amount of methamphetamine that I was like, what, what? You're shooting this guy with math to t- wake him up.
1: <laughs> wake him up. Come on.
0: Oh yeah. Cause that, you know, that makes sense.
1: It's an interesting scene because it's the scene from a writer's point of view where everything is finally explained. It's like, okay, so now here's what the episode's about. This guy goes to sleep. He's in a sleep research lab. There's something wrong with him. He, things are occurring that the scientists don't understand. Kolshak says, I think I understand. At certain moments, he starts having a dream. And of course, Severin Darden, as, you know, Dr. Pollock says, I told you he's not being allowed to dream. And it's like, well, then he's not dreaming, but something is happening. And what's happening is a creature from his nightmares is suddenly coming to life. And if you look at the EEG, the brain waves, when he suddenly has these big up and down spikes, those are the moments when the monster comes to life. Because those are the moments that correlate with the murders that we've seen. So everything gets explained in this scene. And one more thing gets explained in this scene, which is The monster is killing people when you try to wake him up, because if you wake Mm -hmm. him up, the monster dies. And now the monster has taken on a survival instinct, which is kind of like Mr. Ring. So monster doesn't want to die. Monster has an interest in keeping this guy sleeping, and that's why you can't wake him up. And then the character dies
0: yeah yeah as soon as he mentions like Shak mentioned him and he dies uh which i think yeah. I, I misspoke earlier i think i said ekg just out of my, my brain so it is an eeg so i apologize oh, yeah
1: yeah yeah. yeah hey, pop- we're not doctors we're podcasters
0: yeah yeah we're, we're we're just doing this and here comes like this whole back half is really amazing uh for the most part carl walks oh, yeah. in the office and and the the subtlety of hey you know we're cleaning up this mess there's a leak above on the scene and what are you doing, Carl? Are you getting any? And Carl's like, oh, no, 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 I'm not getting any. And I thought that was like a, it just straight out, just says it. I was like, okay, you know, I guess that's what we're doing. So Tony talks about, oh, i got a standing ovation. Come back, have a drink. We've talked about that a little bit. So Carl's like, no, 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 I'm deep, deep working. You know, I'm going to, it's an all-nighter. Colshank goes back. He's like, you know, th- my desk is wet. He's seen clean it off. He's And then he just, he loses it there for a second. And he's like, no, this is, th- there's goop on the desk. I know what this is. I've got to go. He hurried away, you know, gets. He, That's and- a
1: great scene because it's so, it, it's really quiet and subdued. Again, it's mostly one shot. The, the lighting, it's, a, it's very dim. It's after hours. You know, the cleaning crew is in. And, and, they, and they fully establish, oh, there's a leak. I'm cleaning up some water. So they, they plant this information and you don't yeah. even know it's being It's so well done. It's so well done. And then it's late at night. And then Tony comes in with a few guys and we close down this bar and we close down that bar. Come into my office, Carl, have a drink with me. No, no, it's okay. And, 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 and Carl, his point of view at this point is that the, this guy at the sleep research lab has died. Yeah. Problem solved mystery over when you die, you're not dreaming. So it's over. I am no longer worried about a monster. In other words, for Carl, the episode has ended. This is like a coda. This is just well, I'll write up my story. This was a weird thing, and uh, but uh, no harm, no foul. The guy died. Uh, monster dead with him. Mystery over. And and then he just reaches into his drawer to get something, and then he screams. And it's the scariest thing. And he's really scared and he suddenly realizes the guy's dead but the monster isn't and the monster wants to kill me because i know it's secret and now i have no choice i have to go kill it because if i don't i'm going to go to sleep tonight and i'm going to wake up being crushed to death by a swamp monster Yeah, terrifying so that was this is one of my favorite scenes of the entire series. Just this quiet scene that ends in terror. And and the, and the and the film style doesn't change. It's still just very objective from an angle we don't usually get behind his desk. And he just goes, he's like, I'm getting out of here. I gotta go, I gotta go find a swamp monster. And he runs away. And it's just like, oh my God, this it, this is it, this is horrible. It's really scary. Oh, yeah. It's,
0: I mean, and we talked about that earlier the collab, this, the meeting of, of this, the different aspects of it, the tulpa meets the swamp creature. And so Carl's, yeah. Carl's like, I'm getting out of here. uh, You know, so even, and I'm sure I feel bad for Tony here. I feel real bad for Tony because he's like, man, Carl, you didn't make it, but we can still talk. You know, you can still come back and have a drink. Numb. No, you know, forget that. I'm still, I'm still working, man. So, so he goes and Carl, this is the end scene here, man. He finds a sewer. And, and here's another thing I love that they don't do. It. I, I love that they don't, like, jump cut to just him in the sewer, uh, which one of my gripes about one of the episodes was Shak. I think they reused some footage of him digging up the grave in Firefall because you can see uh, in Firefall, you know, he's digging the grave, but you see four lights shining down that they reused from a zombie episode. I'm like, and there's only, like, a, a shot. And I'm like, oh, come on. You know, but and it's only like maybe there's a shot of the moon, there's a shot of him like digging with the lights down, and then there's a shot of him looking in the grave, and it's like so we're really here to believe that okay this is a a complete another side, but we're really here to believe Kolchak dug all this by himself and like we're only gonna spend like you know maybe 15 seconds on it of him getting the body out to go burn it at the arcade. Come on, but you know that's an aside. I love when they do show it out, they flesh it out, you know, the, the long takes of, and I know I complain sometimes about the long take, if it feels unnecessary, but hear him, you know, take, you know, getting down, you know, getting dirty, you know, pulling up the, the man coal cover. And you see the camera follow him down.
1: And again, that shot, that low shot where where he's in the foreground and the city lights are in the background. It's another favorite shot of mine. So beautiful.
0: And see, and that's the thing that I think nowadays is, is might be lost in some things. Where and I think I know Michael Bay gets a lot of crap for like his movies and explosions and stuff, but something he does well, perspective shooting. If you shoot stuff, you gotta shoot stuff from the perspective of of who you know your audience is. If you shoot like all these these scenes like from above, like very theatrical looking, like it's like oh we're gonna shoot him from above. That's not natural. People don't feel that. Like and it's something like an unwritten rule of you know like shoot it you know from from below like. Even when he's like in the in the uh, sewer, you know, you sort of get the uh, sort of l- slight looking up at the swamp monster, and uh, and and it just works. It it really works, and it makes you feel you're there most of the time, you know, all the time.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I I, I think there's there's a lot of there's a lot of really good stuff. Well, there's there's a couple of things I want to talk about. The the, the I'll, I'll I'll jump around a little bit. Go ahead. The, What I want to talk about is, you know, he eventually does go into the sewer. Okay. So you see him lift a manhole cover, climb down the metal ladder into the big tunnel that's got, you know, four feet, three feet of water in it. And then you see him, you just see him go down. Okay. So we get that later. They cut to a sanitation truck coming by noticing that the manhole cover has been moved. So they come over and they put it back. And now you're like, oh, that's not so good because we, we're not really sure how easy it's gonna be for Kolshak to get back out of the sewer. And then they do a third thing, which they did a lot in the Night Stalker that doesn't get talked about a lot, but that I really like, and that really affected me as a kid. They, he makes his way down the sewer far enough to get to another ladder where there is at the top another manhole cover. Mm-hmm. And there is a moment in this final sequence where the moss monster shows up and Kolchak loses his shit. And he's oh, like, yeah. fuck this. I am out of here. Kolchak's not a badass. Kolchak is not a guy with nerves of steel. Kolchak gets scared in these episodes. And I love that. And so he climbs up this ladder just as another truck is backing over the manhole cover and stopping. And you see Kolchak banging on it, trying to get out, and he can't. He is trapped. And they do this a lot in The Night Stalker. They trap him. Wherever he is, he's trapped. He's trapped in the hearse. He's in an awkward position in the oh. zombie episode where he can't really get away quickly. He's trapped inside Jack the Ripper's house. He's not going to be able to escape easily. Really, in bad medicine, he's trapped at the top of a building. He's exhausted. He walks up 40 flights. He's not getting away anytime quick. If that guy is going to chase him around the 40th floor of that building, he's fucked. He either jumps off the building or he dies. By trapping him, they allow him to get scared. It's like, okay, we'll put him in an environment he can't get out of. He'll get scared. He'll want to get out, but he can't. And he finally somehow has to face the monster and somehow defeat it, even though he's terrified. And given any other circumstance, he would run away. That is unheard of. You will never see that emotion and those character beats play out in anything today because... The person hunting the monster has to be totally brave and intrepid. And I am here to kill the monster. Frankly, in most cases, Kolschak is not there to kill anything. He's there to get evidence. And sometimes he only accidentally, it's only as a secondary thing that he kills the monster. He's searching for evidence. So, you know, that's, uh, that, that that's, that's my, uh, my, my take on, how they play fear in the Night Stalker. And I love it.
0: Perfect. I, You know, and here's something I so I mentioned in, in uh, and I keep going back to other episodes, Firefall. Like I thought, why did Kohl's Shack he's coming to burn this body. Why did he bring his tape recorder and everything? And, and Robert's like, oh, he's always ready for a story. I don't, I guess he didn't have his, I, I didn't, I should have paid more attention. He didn't have his tape recorder here, obviously, because he's swimming around in muck, I, I guess. So here he didn't think he would need it, I guess. I don't know. Um, Or did he sit it down?
1: I guess this time he really thought he was in danger it's yeah. like this is coming after me i have to go there to kill it so I, and I, I don't but and I'll, I'll point out one other thing that i do like about the setting of the climax of this episode is is the paramount is a boogeyman from children's dreams right mm-hmm. Now, you and I have both dreamed that we're being chased by a monster, right? Have you ever had that dream? Oh, yeah, yeah. And when you're being chased by the monster and you're trying to run away, what does it feel like?
0: I mean, it just, it's just sheer terror. Like, you're, like, this is life or death, fight or flight.
1: Do you feel like you can run really fast? Oh, yeah, feel- yeah.
0: Adrenaline kicking in.
1: See, in my dreams, it, it's, uh, it's difficult to run. It's like I'm trying to run away and there's this weird slow motion being imposed within the dream. And and I've 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 heard other people speak of that. It's like when you're when you're running in dreams, you're you're it, you're not moving quickly. You're moving in agonizing slow motion. And that that has been an element of my dreams. And I connect it with this because when Kolshak is running away, he's running away in waste deep water. You can't run when you're yeah. running in waist deep water. You can barely move. You're being forced into slow motion. And I just thought, wow, I don't know if they knew that or they thought about that when they were doing this. But but in a way, it it creates the feeling of a nightmare, trying to get away from a monster and you just can't get away.
0: Yes, and and he even has to. You see the reluctancy in him to when he's walking down the ladder to step in the muck. He's like, "Is there a way I can get around this?" He's like, "No, there's there's not." So he just you see him to submerge his legs, but it gets so desperate whenever the the uh, the swamp the swamp monster uh, even with his white hands. You know, you see the clearly see the palms of his hands in his outfit. Um, you know, hey, You know. The, uh, obviously there would be a white guy in that suit under uh i g- actually, i guess richard keel wasn't if he was in the suit uh which i that was one thing i was gonna say richard keel i've seen most people say he was in the suit i've seen mark in his book Mark woodziak said he was in the suit i've seen some pushback like oh he wasn't in the suit i'm like well who else would have been in-? so who knows who knows i i would tend to say that he was um i
1: think, i have heard no compelling counter theory now that- the one
0: yeah the one that I heard that he definitely wasn't in was the rock Shasa rock Shasha suit. Yeah. No. So, he was not that. so the, I think they, they said like it was Dick Warlock who, uh, many people may know Dick Warlock from Halloween Two. He was, uh, Michael Myers in Halloween Two, And he was, has been in other episodes of Kohl's Shack that we've mentioned. Uh, he was like a stunt coordinator, stunt director and stuff like that. And he was in, you know, Halloween Two, Decent film, you know, a pretty big film, a little bit of big, you know, um,
1: What's funny is I'll I'll tell you a a quick funny story. Uh, I worked on a uh, mini series for sci-fi channel called the lost room. And if you ever have an opportunity to see the lost room, it's fantastic. It's a six hour mini series. One of the best things I ever worked on. I didn't write it. I produced it. It's fantastic. The guy who directed four of the six hours is Craig Baxley and did a great job on the lost room, but but coincidentally, when I met him, I'm like, why does your name sound familiar? And he's like, well, I used to be a stuntman. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're Mr. Ring. And he was Mr. No Ring. No way. No way! He was a stunt coordinator on on the Night Stalker. And when it came time for Mr. Ring, it's like, you know what? That's a character who's got to do a lot of running and jumping and fighting. Let's just put Craig in the suit. And they put him in the suit. And I'm like, oh, dude. I got to talk to you. I got to ask you stories about that. And he was really reluctant to talk about it. He was kind of embarrassed. He's like, Oh, it was a goofy show. I put on this. It was, yeah, I don't want to talk about that. Cause he wanted to, you know, he was directing and that's, that was where he was in his career. And, And so he, he was somewhat reluctant to talk about his work on the night stalker, but I was like, dude, you have no idea. That makes me respect you. 10 times more than I did before I knew that.
0: Yeah. And that's the one thing. So Robert will sort of give me the side eye sometimes he'll look. Cause we have our notes on a Google doc. Uh, and he'll, he'll look and he'll say you, cause I'll have, we have a segment where we'll name the cast and crew and then we'll have other works by cast and crew that I specifically, I'll go through IMDB, IMDB and I'll go down rabbit holes. I'll say, what is this person in? And I'll look at every single cast member and I decide, whoever's listening on IMDb, I go down and, and sometimes there's like probably usually about 12 people. I'll go down and then that. And of course I exclude like main cast members or, you know, cause we've already hit them or, or whatever. they are going to have their own episode one day. And he's like, do we really need the, you know, reporter number three down here? And I'm like, well, they were in a twilight zone episode and they were also, you know, over here in Rockford Files, and, and they were in this movie called tarantula. Uh, they were in, there was a movie I found the other day that I never heard of called S- just a bunch of S's. It's a, you know it,
1: oh, yeah, yeah, they used to rerun that on local TV all the time.
0: I just thought that was strange. I'm like, hell, I'll put this down because I've never heard of it. Apparently, it's some sort of horror movie. And the amount of people, like people who were in the original King Kong, and I'm like, you know, how the hell are they working on Cole shack this many years later? People from like the 30s, like working on stuff.
1: There's you know, horror fans know this stuff, and, oh. I, and I think they love those kind of shout outs because, um horror fans recognize those secondary and tertiary actors as they show up in different things and they really appreciate it and they, and they feel that when people who have been in horror classics from the past are cast in horror genre TV shows in present day, it's an acknowledgement. It, it's some, the director, the producer, the studio, someone is going... Oh, I remember you, and you were in that scary movie when I was a kid. So we're going to put you in this, and fans love that. Oh, yeah. They love that kind of stunt casting. It's like, oh yeah, oh my god, and you know, you know, this, the the woman who was the you know Scream Queen in that movie is turning up in this episode, and you get a lot of cred for that when you're doing like genre stuff on television. If you have the opportunity to cast someone who's already known from something else always cast that person on social media. You will reap the rewards. People love it.
0: Oh yeah. And it's just fun learning. Like there's two more of just thinking of raw right hand, the howling Four. there's somebody, there's a few people from Kolshak that was in the howling Four. and then there was this one woman who was in puppet master five. Like, and I'm like, what, who even is making the damn puppet master? I think they're on puppet master nine now. So I, I end up spending hours researching just trivial stuff. I spend three minutes on talking about uh, one of the guys from Call Shack. I I love Batman, love the animated series growing up the nineties. The animated series, Kevin Conroy, Mark Hamill was the Joker. The guy who played uh, Commissioner Gordon was like a in one of the Call Shack episodes, like in a pretty big role. I'd have to go back and find it, but I'm like,
1: how the hell does this stuff happen? Was John was it John Denner? I mean, obviously, Call Shack had a lot of really cool character actors through those 20 episodes that showed up everybody from H- Hans Conried to Jim Backus, Jamie Farr, Mary Wicks. You know, I mean, there were just all, all kinds of people showing up. Dick Gautier.
0: Oh yeah. Dick Godier was one. Uh, commission, uh, Bob Hastings.
1: Oh, Bob Hastings played one of the cops, didn't he? Uh, in the original movie.
0: Uh, he was in the werewolf too, I believe. Um, let's see. I've got hey. him. He was Hallam. H a l l e m in the werewolf.
1: Okay, all right, yeah, the name is familiar. Uh, so, yeah,
0: he was in Four Twilight. He was in a Twilight Zone episode too. Uh, anyway, he, he was a big voice actor. Super, he was Superboy. <laughs> he was Superboy in the uh, Clark in Clark Kent in the seventies, sixties, and seventies uh, cartoons. Full circle, full circle. Uh, sorry, guys, we're trying to wrap this bad boy up, but um, while we're here.
1: I think we do need to acknowledge that the final murder of oh, yeah. the monster is not as awesome as it could be. Now, Kolchak is sort of hiding behind the metal uh, ladder, which I get mm-hmm. the uh, spear that he has carved is, is pretty narrow. It's pretty, it's long, but it's kind of pencil thin and he sort of just barely grazes the moss monster with it. And then the moss monster collapses. Now, let me, uh, let me read to you what's in the script. Here's what's in the script. Paramount Faye grabs Kolshak, slams him, slams him against the tunnel side. Carl yells, tries to get a shot with his spear, but cannot. His head is being squeezed by the massive hands. His eyes bug. Then he stabs, hits the creature a glancing blow to the side. Paramalfe lets go and Kolshak scrambles away. Paramalfe follows. Okay, so that was not successful. Uh, uh, Karl fights toward the manhole ladder, the creature right behind him. Kolshak starts to mount the ladder, but Paramalfe seizes his leg, drags him down, down. Kolshak stabs with the gum spear, but misses. The creature yanks him off the ladder, seizes him around the chest in a bear hug, squeezes. Kolshak goes limp, his ribs breaking, the air leaving his lungs. With his last bit of strength, he moves his free arm, stabs up at Per as the gum spear pierces its head right into one of its eyes. He drops Kolchak, stumbles away, roaring in agony. Kolchak watches in dread as the creature stumbles and flails, trying to pry the spear from its vital center. With a final sloshing shriek, it drops to its knees, topples forward into the muck, lies still. Kolchak stares in wonderment as the creature begins to break up, dissolving into dirt and rotted vegetation. With another far off ominous roar, the sewer flushes again, and the bits of the creature are washed away into nothingness. Kolshak, favoring his injured rib cage, clings to the ladder, grimacing in pain. Cut to hospital emergency room and the voiceover at the end.
0: Oh man.
1: Oh I I feel cheated. I feel cheated. This is the story of my life. Oh, God. You write this shit out of a moment on the page. And then in the movie, it's like, uh, and then it just happens and it's over and uh, we move on. And you're like, wait a second. Couldn't we, didn't I write a whole thing? Wasn't it just the thing and the grabbing and the pulling him down off the ladder and then jabbing him in the eye? It's like, really? We couldn't have done that? We couldn't have figured out some way, but I guess not. Actors were pissed off. They were waist deep in cold water. I'm sure everyone was like, can we just, can wrap this up so that's what led to unfortunately one of the what you might call a swing and a miss in terms of the final murder of a monster in the night stalker
0: and you know that all i was going to say is you you painted the that was even better what i was going to say i was going to say just at the end give me 22 or 23 more seconds where he he fumbles with it. It hits the ladder. He misses one stab. It, he about drops it, and then he gets the second stab. That's all I would have needed. What they wrote, give me that. And then and then I would also like the shot of him walk like a, a longer shot, maybe like two or three more seconds of him walking. You know, sort of hobbling down the down the down the little
1: sewer. That was a great moment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. What are we gonna do?
0: But, you know, that we've, we've talked about the episode. Robert would kill me if I didn't. He did leave some voicemail, uh, just two minutes here. And uh, so I'm going to play his voicemail. So he's here in spirit. Uh, you know what I realized? I, I've Oh, what did I hit? I've been playing uh, <laughs> the, the Sex Pistols this whole time by accident. I just had to pause it.
1: I wish I could hear it.
0: So uh, here is Robert.
2: Hey, guys, this is Robert uh, Bradley and Rich. Rich, thank you so much for doing the podcast with us tonight. Um, This is my safety phone call, just in case the soccer match goes into extra uh, overtime and I'm not going to be able to make it back on time. The uh, game plan was that we were going to be able to leave early, but there is still a chance that might happen. So I want to do a safety and talk about one of my favorite episodes there ever was uh, for Kolshak, the stalker. And, yes, I'm giving this a 10 out of 10, possibly a 10.5 because I love it that much. But a couple things on here that I love. I think this is legitimate science fiction. You've got the sleep study um, element to this. And then, of course, we throw in the fantasy side of it with the Boogeyman with their Pierre Marfay, uh version of the Boogeyman, the Spanish Moss. Love everything that has to do with that. Um, Rich, I'm really curious, when you see a story like this, if you were an original storyteller, what sort of choices do you make outside of the original or the, the, the sort of usual planned structure that a Kolshak episode has? We know we have the, the murder, and he talks about it to his tape recorder, and then he goes and gets some information from INS and does all of his police investigating and gathers his sources and all those things. But what is it that is so amazing about this episode to you, Rich, that makes it stand apart from other episodes. And I believe this is one of your favorites too.
0: I'll pause there and I'll let you answer that before I delve into the rest.
1: Well, I mean, I, you know, I think we talked about it and I Mm -hmm. think he's, he's aiming right at it, which is the concept itself, which I think is, is really imaginative and really well, well laid out. Um, It's not obvious from the first moment. Uh, you know, I mean, some of the episodes is like, well, it's a wolf man. Okay. So it's a Wolfman. man. We, we know what the Wolfman man is. The, this one could have just been a moss monster, but I think the introduction of the notion that it's being dreamed into reality, uh, through, through some sort of mechanism we don't understand is really interesting. And my favorite part about it is when, when the false ending, when, when the, when the subject of the sleep study dies. You think the story's over and it, and, it, and it just allows you such a great moment as a writer. The audience is relaxed and, and it, it's just like you get to take a free punch. You know, it's like we're going to tell you the story's over. There's no reason to think there's anything more coming. And then pow, you just hit them in the gut with, oh, no, it's worse. The person's dead but the monster is still alive. Kolchak. you still have a big problem. You have to solve because now the monster wants to kill you. And it, it's just, it's perfectly, perfectly structured. So I, 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 uh, I, I give Al Friedman and David Chase 10 out of 10. All just
0: right. out I'm going to play his last minute here and then I'll, I'll get to my
2: writing. So I'm really curious to know what you think is it is the story in and of itself that is so incredible is that the blending in of all these different, that's actually not my dog barking, is that the blending in of all these um, various cultures with this Louisiana angle and these Cajun folks. And by the way, I have exhausted every source I can to find out if there was actually a Cajun presence in Chicago in the 1970s around this time. I actually just, just got off the phone with a restaurant in Chicago called the New Orleans House. They were very confused why I was asking what the oldest uh, New Orleans restaurant is in Chicago. But anyway, uh, guys, just in case I can't get in touch with you, um, I really wanted to do that. And the other part, of course, is the uh, examination that they do of the sleep study. People, when they're using the EEG, the electroencephalograph. And I was going to go into some history about that. But uh, basically, great episode. Really curious to hear what you guys have to say about it. If I'm not able to be
0: there, thanks a lot. Yeah, so uh, I mean th- that was his thought. I gave I gave this uh, nine point eight uh, blue pairs of underwear out of ten. I think this was cusp of being perfect, but th- the last scene took away from me. And if if I'd have had that, it may have been the greatest te- like television episode of all time of any show. I think I don't know.
1: Yeah, I can only imagine that 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 sewer sequence was miserable to film. I don't even know how they did it. How do you, I mean, you've got to get cameras anytime you're using water and actors have to be in water. Oh yeah. That's about the most difficult thing you can do. And, and this, you know, I, the the water I know was not warm. It was cold. It was dirty. It's filled with muck. This is not where an actor wants to be. And so the, 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 the less amount of time they can spend there, the better we're halfway through the run of the show. Darren McGavin's getting tired. They're they're shooting it probably in November. You know, it's, it's just unpleasant. Uh, I I would be fascinated to know where they shot that if they built that somehow, or if they actually used some sort of existing location, I, I can't imagine. I mean, that's a good amount of space that that set takes up. I mean, you, There's quite a bit of throw. You can see way behind the monster and way behind coal and there's various areas. So how do you have an area that big and filled with that much water? That's not easy. So again, having a little bit of experience in these kinds of things, I I would say I sort of understand what could have gone wrong, but uh, the director of the episode, Gordon Hessler, I think just, had a, a number of really beautiful touches. And so my, my hat goes off to him. He's uh, he was a director uh, passed away in 2014 at the age of 88 oh, and um, but uh, did a lot of episodic and I don't know what other episodes of shows he's done that I've seen, but he did a great job on this one.
0: Yeah. And uh, before we roll out today, did, did you want to say anything about cryptids or anything you found about cryptids or
1: um, no, I mean, uh, I, I didn't grow up in that area. You did. Uh, I have no experience, unfortunately, with uh, Moss Monsters. But, uh, but I know that that legend of Boggy Creek is, has terrified people since, you know, the, the day the first trailers rolled out. So those, those, those southern – I will tell you this. I worked on a show in Shreveport, Louisiana that is a city uh, that has swamps in it. I mean, you know, again, in, in the outskirts, I'd never seen a swamp. It's beautiful, but it is not without its dangers and horrors. We had to film out in the bayou, at the swamp's edge at night, and we had to have snake wranglers Because they basically told us, look, it's a swamp. Snakes live in the swamp. You're going to be out here at night shining bright lights to film your show. Snakes are attracted to light. So you're going to have a bunch of actors out here in the dark and snakes coming up out of the swamp, at them, Right onto the set where they are. So we had to hire these two guys who would circle the the thing with what looked like a sprinkler key and a stick with a nail on the end literally just walking around and i would ask them like every every once in a while i'd say so did you guys actually see any snakes that are like so far we got we got four of them and i'd be like you gotta be fucking kidding (laughs) the scene that we were filming were these teenage kids who go out into the swamp because they're young werewolves basically and and so they go out at night almost like a high school thing they go out and they tear their clothes off boys and girls under the full moon and turn into wolves. So we have young actors wearing almost no clothing, walking around a swamp with snakes and bugs and poison ivy. All it needed was Paramount Faye (laughs) as the icing on the cake (laughs) to come out and start murdering crew members and cast members and writers.
0: And now, uh, the segment that I think got cut out uh, was my movie picks of the week. The movie of the week. My movie picks of the week are number five,
1: Bog.
0: Number four, Wes Craven Swamp Thing, which I I, I love the movie, and uh, but I, I think there is a better adaptation of that. I'll get to later. Number three, Creature from the Black Lagoon. How could you forget such a classic like that? Uh, just a great execution of a monster like that. Uh, number two, Swamp Thing, the TV series, which is a twenty nineteen uh, the twenty nineteen show that we've actually talked about on here before, uh, just because of. I don't know, just because it, it didn't get the due. It, it deserved, and they canceled it early. Uh, but that was that was definitely, you know, that's number two on that, because I think it did a better job even of the other. Um, and uh, as an honorable mention, Alan Moore's run on Swamp Thing, this is not really a television or movie pick, but uh, his run on swamp thing, the 20 issues he did of the 82 revival of the series was really good. And my number one, which is maybe not really a number one is curse of the swamp creature. Uh, <laughs> maybe the worst move all time. It's a 2.5 out of 10. Um, let me read this geologists in the Florida Everge- Everglades stumble upon a man scientist secret lab and his experimental man beast. And, uh, i basically put that it's just considered like a lot of people consider it one of the worst uh, movies of all time. It was just a slow budget uh, movie from six from uh, sixty eight, as I said, and I don't know. It's just it's not good, and it, but it's a fun, not good. I guess it's so bad it's good. Let's look at Dread Central gave it a one point five out of five and said that. It is actually one of a Z-grade Zlo- Schlockmeister's Larry Buchanan's Better Movies. That's not to say it's any good just to comment that you can probably sit all the way through it from beginning to end without falling asleep or wanting to gouge your eyes out with your own fingers. You know, that reminds me. So One of the great DC shows was Swamp Thing. I wish they would have kept going with Swamp Thing. I hate that it got canceled before it even aired. And me, I've talked about it with Rodney Barnes. Uh, God, I love Swamp Thing. But, uh, you know... Speaking of DC shows, and this one is definitely not canceled, uh, DC's Titans. How many times can I mention that in one episode? God only knows DC's Titans. Uh, and, and it's just God. So is there anything else you got? Is it just Titans is what, what else is it happening in the world of Haddam?
1: Um, well, mostly it's Titans. Uh, we're, uh, I am, I'm pitching a few other shows with, uh, various partners, um, it's, uh, n- none of them are at a stage I can talk about yet. Uh, as soon as they are, I will happily talk about them. So, uh, hopefully, uh, within the next few months, uh, I'll be cooking up a uh, season four of Titans.
0: Yeah. And the reception so far has been gangbusters. Uh, if people still say gangbusters, we're talking about a 1970 show, I guess we can say whatever we want and I'm sure the references will fit in there somewhere. Uh, so Titans have talked about it. God, a, a great stuff, you know, just some great actors and, and on it and a great cast. And, and it's really been fun watching all that happen uh, and come together. So that's fun. Something else coming in the coming months. We're, we're having a Shack Halloween party. It's going to be a stream. I've got uh, Rich Adam is on board. I don't know why he keeps, he's a glutton for punishment coming back. That's uh,
1: right. Wearing my Shack suit, my seersucker suit, and my Stan Smith sneakers.
0: Yeah, and uh, and and he's also going to be our master of mixology. He's our, already gave you one Shack drink today. He's going to get some more drinks, uh, some more mixed yeah. drinks going. Uh, we're going to have Rodney Barnes, as agreed. Uh, he's going to be on writer of uh, L.A. Showtime Lakers. He's currently writing Philadelphia. I think he's writing a Double O Seven James Bond book. He's writing I.G. Eleven Star Wars book. Sorry, Jane. Or sorry, uh, Rodney, for for forgetting some of your stuff there. James Ross
1: that a uh, book. Oh That's, yes. Uh, you
0: 100. know, and so and what the whole premise of that double O seven book is it's instead of like being like a normal double7 thing, it's a, basically he goes into sort of combat a sex ring of like, you know, underage, you know, sex workers are being taken advantage of and stuff. It's like a different take on, uh,
1: oh, so he's like writing an original James Bond adventure.
0: Yeah. In a in comic book form. Yeah. Um, so Dang.
1: okay, great, great. I can't wait for that. That sounds amazing.
0: And yeah, I'm sure I, I can send you a copy because I'm, I'm subscribing to all of them and I will be, uh, I'll send it your direction. Uh, I'll, I'll get them all and I'll just send them to Rich Adam. Oh, please do. And uh, who else? We've got James Rice, son of Jeff Rice. We had an interview with him and he he's, uh you know, it's funny, here. you know, it's sort of strange hearing him talk like, he's like, oh yeah, you know, my dad was always trying to expose me to cinema. We would have like cinema screen nights. We went and saw Star Wars. He was a huge Star Wars fan. And it's sort of like you think of people in a bubble and you're like, Oh, Jeff Ross is that guy who wrote Shack. He, he don't like anything else. He just writes about Shack, and he only watches stuff about monsters. Um, right. But yeah, so he talked about, he's to him, me talking to him is just a pleasure. I'm still, I'm talking to him on and off about other stuff. Yeah. My dad loves cinema. We love star Wars and stuff like, wow. You know, that's crazy. So we got all these intersecting worlds.
1: Rich, are you a star Wars guy? I'm not a really a Star Wars guy. I'm not really an outer space guy. I mean, I like those movies. I, I I think they're incredibly well done, and I I respect you know everything about them. But I'm not. I would not call myself a huge fan.
0: Yeah, but you know, so that's just the conversation. Mark DeWoodsiak is he's nose to the grindstone in a. We plan this, you know, and and sort of get everybody's schedules work. I was like, oh, we're you know mostly went around Rodney's schedule because he's like. God bless him, every iron in the fire. I, he's burning the candle at both ends. So I'm like, Rodney, whatever day you're free, I'll try to work it out. Mark was like, oh, okay, that's going to be the last day I'm submitting my Edgar and Poe book, so I'm probably going to be stressed. But I'm going to try to, you know, maybe that gives me a good reason to step away. I'll come by for a few minutes. But, you know, a few minutes with Mark is, you know, 12 hours, which, Rich, you were sort of our guinea pig on that. Our first interview was Mark DeWoodziak and you pretty much just wind him. Uh, he's got a little mechanism in the back, and he doesn't take breaks or anything, so we interviewed you and... You know, you're over here like, man, I need I need a damn break every now and then to drink and, you know, piss. And I was like, oh, I'm used to Mark Woods Yeah, he just, he just runs on like, I don't know, like inhibition and, and that little, I think he's got a little raven in his head or something that, that just, he's going.
1: When we started tonight, I told my wife, you know, we're starting at 7.30 my time. Don't wait up for me. This one's, this one, I'm not going to be done by nine. This wait. one's going
0: we, and and I told you I said we're just going to do an hour. We're just going to do an hour on Spanish
1: moss, uh, just an hour. Oh no, please! I knew for I, I'm like no. First of all, come on, you can't just do an hour. No. But you second can't. of all, I'm like, all right, I get it. I know how this goes. This is this is deep dive. I'm ready for it. You know, I I like to talk. So good, bring it on.
0: And might I say, you dove deeper than I could even have fathom.ed Like you brought like information like. You know, don't tell Robert this. I'm gonna replace him with you. In fact, I'm probably gonna replace myself with you. We'll just I'm, you just send me the episode. I'll edit it every week, and it can just be a one man show of just Rich talking about Shack and and I'll somehow take credit for it somehow and make that lucrative money that I'm pouring in hand over fist. You've talked about
1: yeah, that 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 sweet Kolshak's loop coin you're uh, making. Yeah. Hey, listen. You know I love doing this. So anytime you want me back, just drop a line. I'll be here.
0: Well, and I hope you all will join us back here. And for all things Col Shake, you can find us everywhere. All the socials, that you can find him at uh, at Richard Haddam on Twitter. That's probably the best way to tweet him.
1: Yeah, that's where I am.
0: So if you are loving Titans, you know, send that his way. And if you are hating Titans, uh, don't put that in the, into the ether. Just, just leave that on your own. Nobody needs to know what you think in your own personal life or what you hate. But yeah, so I've done went past our buffer music. For, for all things Col Shake, you can find us right here inside the loop you. <laughs>